Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. The government again putting a band-aid on it, similar to the housing crisis. The roads are a disgrace. You have three beautiful sons. He said, go and treat them to something. I thought, how kind of the stranger. We want a resolution because adults got around the table and realised what needed to happen. Join the conversation. Call 0818-969696. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96FM. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Parks 96 FM. Oh, see, there's another nice gig just popped up this morning for the summer of 2024 in Cork. Uh, it is June 25th. Uh, Muzzer, or as they're calling it these days, Virgin Media Park. Just announced this morning, Shania Twain on the 25th of June. Support Rag and Bone Man. Tickets, 80 bucks going on sale Friday. That's a big announcement. Let's see if we can't get the powers that be to let us play a Shania Twain song this morning. Let's see if we can do that because that's a big, that's a big gig. Uh, for Cork this morning Musgrave Park Virgin Media Park whatever they're calling it this week uh, Shania Twain 25th June that's a nice bit of news to start off with on this Tuesday morning 0818 96 96 96 the number the text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96 the email is opinion at 96fm.ie now road rage have you come across it I spotted it actually recently. I was coming into town. I'll tell you more about this later on. But I was driving in on one side of the link. So I was coming towards town. And there was a bit of traffic on my side of the road. So I was stopped and it was a nice day. So I kind of had the window open sort of thing. And I spotted something in the outbound lane. And I thought, let's just, just calm down a small bit. Get back into your cars and shag off because there's no harm done to either car I'll tell you more about that a bit later on is there a lot of it going on you're talking to one lady who had a very uh, nasty gesture shall we say made at her recently but is there a lot of road rage and there's another thing are we turning into nasty people anyway there seems to be so much more nastiness and and just towards shopkeepers and transport workers and nurses and doctors, have we gone awful nasty? And if we did, how much did the 
pandemic and the lockdown have to do with it. And if we even go down that road of blaming the lockdown and blaming the pandemic, are we even, um, are we excusing just crappy behaviour? All right, that's all to come a little bit later on. Oh, yeah, the, the first dates Ireland was like a cock takeover. Uh, the last episode of it, and um, I'll be catching up with one or two of them later on. There was one particular couple, and when they went into the sort of afters discussion, the two of them, could they possibly be more cork? Could they, I mean, could they be more cork if they tried? They were very, 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 very funny. All that is to come this morning. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. 3,250 euro now in the bucket for the word. They're struggling with this. I met the coolest dog, the dog's name. <laughs> My mother didn't get a look in for the entire hour. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that's worth 3,250 euro when we play the word again after 11 this morning. Someone this morning guessed Bruce. Lisa guessed Bruce. Bruce was wrong too. So 3,250 euro on the word when we play next after 11. First of all, though, two sad scenes uh, in Dublin last evening. Huge crowd turned up, several hundred people to pay their respects to a woman who had died while sleeping rough. Her name was Anne Delaney. She was a nurse. She was a mother of a 17-year-old daughter. She was originally from County Leash, but she died on Sunday near a Tesco Express supermarket where she lived rough in a place called Anger Street in Dublin. Um, she, she worked, I think she actually was working, in a hospital in Dublin at a, as a nurse, but she was homeless for the last uh, seven or eight years. And those who knew her said she was a bit of a fixture on the Dublin streets. Uh, her story had gone... Her life story had been a tough one. Two of her closest relatives died in a car crash, and that kind of set her off the beaten track, as it were, and that would set anybody off the beaten track. Um, but some of her friends who knew her from around town gathered and played her favourite song, Crazy World, out over a sound system, and they had a little gathering for her uh, last evening. I saw some, some video from that. She was a woman who had worked, and... I think still was working, unless I'm getting this wrong. She had a daughter who regularly visited her on the streets. Um, one particular thread I spotted this morning on Twix was that she had options. Um, she had options for a roof over her head if she wanted to take them, but it would have involved dealing with her personal issues. I think she had addiction to deal with. It would have involved dealing with that and... As as happens so many times, addiction won. And Anne died Sunday. Very sad, very sad videos going around about that. And just as we were reading that story and coming to terms with another death on, on our streets and, and the usual chancer is trying to make political gains out of it as well, but let's 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 leave that one aside. We were contacted by Sylvia. Now Sylvia Sylvia's Polish. Uh, living in Ireland, I think, Sylvia, for about 20 years, 
always worked until recently and now you find yourself on the streets. Morning. Good morning. I came to Ireland in 2004. I was working, I started from Imperial Hotel. I was there for about eight months and then I was working in the Clayton. It was old Clarion Hotel for 11 years. And then I moved to the Riverly Hotel. And I was there for three years until pandemic started. About two weeks I was unemployed and then I found a job in Centra in Broaddale. Yes. And I was there for a few good months. And then I found another job in the Dean Hotel. And that was the last place I worked, actually. Okay. Now you've been homeless since November. Since the 1st of November last year, yes. Okay. And for the last couple of weeks you've been sleeping out on the streets, have you? I was, for the last three weeks, I was sleeping everywhere I could. So it was in the, the doorway, sleeping outside, the Clayton Hotel, and it was raining. So um, that was the last night, actually not last night, two nights ago, when I decided to contact you because I just had enough. I was um victim of the crime as well. And the various shelters won't let you in. Will they tell you no, why? no, no. None of the shelters, well, they told me that I broke some rules that they have, but I never got anything on the paper. So I, they are asking me to appeal from the decision that actually I never got any decision. Okay. So I, I didn't know what to appeal from, you know what okay. I mean? You have registered with the council as a homeless person, yeah? Yes, I am registered and I am in APS, the accommodation placement services, every day, actually sometimes twice a day. Okay. It's not only me, there is more people in the same situation like me. I'm under psychiatric um, care, but I don't have alcohol problem and I don't have a drug problem because I'm completely against drugs. So where have you been staying this last couple of weeks, Sylvia? I have a friend, very good friend, who is um, letting me stay sometimes and shower at his place, but he's actually in Bangladesh at the moment because he's from Bangladesh okay. and his mother is sick so he had to go to visit so um so you have nowhere until to stay yesterday no i had nowhere to stay i even was spending all my money before t- the 3 weeks ago <clears throat> because i was on job 6 benefit i found a cheap place to stay that i paid for my accommodation but you you're, you're going from money. place to place you have nowhere yes, and, to stay. I, Where will you stay tonight? I will stay tonight in the same place that I stayed last night. There is a person that I met through other um, homeless people because there is a lot of good people. Yeah. And that place uh, said she, she wants to help me and he said that I can sleep on his couch until I will get sorted. So I can stay actually there tonight. Well, that's good. And I can at least shower, but tomorrow I don't know because, mm-hmm. you know, I am living day by day now. It's yeah. just ridiculous. You you are looking for another job. You have been working for most of your time here. You're yes. you're looking for another yes. job, and that would enable you. I to am pay looking rent. for a job. Yes, but my psychiatrist told me actually that I'm not able to work um, okay. at the moment because she thinks that that's too much going on, and I should be off, you know, off job until I get a roof over my head because I can't actually sleep on the street and go to work. You need a job. To get money, yes. to get a roof over your head, and exactly. your doctor, your, your doctor is saying, 
you can't work my until you have a roof over you. That at, at the moment I should be off work completely because they are just trying to figure it out what is actually what what kind of problem you know illness I have so yeah. she's very good to me and but you know I want to work of course I want to go back to normal life but yeah. if I am under the care of the doctor I have to listen to someone so I don't really know if I'll if I'll have a roof over the head I don't think that I will the problem to find a job. There is plenty of jobs. Particularly for someone with your experience, there's loads yes. and loads of work. And actually, I was looking for something to, to, to work with accommodation, but I couldn't find anything. And the people in the in the council, ACS, what did they said to you? That you'll be waiting a while, I suppose. I'm waiting. I am there every day, and they are telling me no. APS is not let, not referring me to the shelters anymore. They just told me that I am barred. Okay, and we don't know why that is. Well, they told me that I broke some rules, but I don't actually know what kind what? of rules I broke because I never got anything on the paper or uh, even... I understand you know, what you're saying I to me. The, the shelters say you broke some rule. You yes. don't even know what the rule was that you're supposed to have broken. Well, they are telling me that I was abusive to the staff, but I never in my life was abusive to anyone, so I don't know. Right. If they are mixing me with someone you're else. You're thinking they might be mixing you up with somebody else? Yes. Have you gone to the penny dinners, Sylvia? I did. Every day I am there, yes, yes, yes. Okay. They are very good in there, yeah. Okay. Of course. Now I am actually, since uh, last Friday, I am allowed to the day center in the Simon, which is the um, center open from 9 until 1. Oh, and so I you can, can go something. there by day, but you can't stay by there by day, night? Yes, but... Only since last uh, Friday, uh, okay. Thursday, I am allowed. That's an improvement. Maybe now that you'll have a chance to talk to someone in the day centre about why you can't get in by night. Sylvia, sorry to hear that you're that you're so hot for a place. I mean, after working and living here for nearly 20 years, mm. you worked at my local centre. I, th- I think I yes, remember okay. you. I think I remember yes. you. If anybody thinks they might be able to help you, they can come and talk to us. How does that of sound? Of course. Yes, yes, yes. Of okay. course. All right. Sylvia, I wish you well and I hope that it works out for you soon. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for, for the conversation and listening to my story. Thank you for telling us your story, Sylvia, and I, I wish you well. There's someone who's been in our country for 20 years. So she's one of us at this stage and she's worked all the way through and now she finds herself at a little bit of a bump in the road with her mental health. There's been stuff going on in her life and and now she's homeless and whatever seems to have happened with the services, I hope that works itself out. It's good that she can get back into the day centre because maybe then she can sit down with someone and find out what it was she's supposed to have done and put it right. She just sounds like a woman who wants to go back to work and she's in a position that I think a lot of people find themselves in that her doctor is saying, look, Sylvia, at the moment you really aren't fit to work. But on the other hand, she wants to work so she can find a place to live. It's a horrible choice to be in. With regard to Anne in in Dublin, was the government jumping over itself to accommodate that woman? Well, in answer to that question, it would appear she had options. She had more than one option, in fact, but she she wasn't taking them because of the situation in which she found herself. Could you explain to me, another comment, how you come into this country with no ID, there's uproar in government if you're not accommodated, 
but people living and working here with no accommodation can sling their hook. It's a view, and it's a commonly held view these days, and it's a question that a lot of people struggle to answer. Equality of concern. This huge, that's a good point. Let's develop it for 30 seconds without anyone flinging accusations at us. We have people coming into the country seeking our help and seeking our assistance. And that's fine. They've nowhere to stay. And we're concerned about that. Government very concerned about the fact that people coming in seeking our assistance have nowhere to stay. And rightly so, they should be concerned. But they don't seem, they don't seem to get the same equality of concern, shall we say, as people here a long time sleeping on the streets. I'm just putting it out there as a view that is there. Your thoughts very welcome. 0818 96 96 96. You want the biggest hits? Well, what a bit of um, real 90s. We are real. Other people be like, you want to hear your song? I'm like, yes. Love it. What a tune. You got them right here. The Hit Mix. The Hit Mix. On Cork's 96 FM. I want new music. I want to hear that new tune. Fresh. Fresh new music. The Hit Mix with Brian McAvoy. Everything I drop is a banger. The Hit Mix. On your smart speaker. On your phone. And on your radio. Weeknights from 8. On Quartz 96 FM. Join the conversation. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Quartz 96 FM. Let's return. Oh, by the way, people are asking me for a clue on the word. Uh, No. (laughs) Do you want me to get sacked? Really? No. No, 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 no. Someone says here, Ah, PJ, is the dog a boy or a girl? Please give us a clue. No. I don't know anyway. I have no idea. I don't even know what the answer is. I know I don't genuinely don't know what the answer is. If the answer is guessed correctly, it'll come up on my screen. That's all I know. So I have no clue. No clues. All right. Let's go back to this thing that we discussed last week. And we got this checked out by David Brown at BDM Boylan solicitors to, to know, is the letter legal? To which he said, yes, it is. Now, there was a little caveat with that, which I'll remind you of in a second. But this is the letter that was seen by housekeeping staff in CUH recently, telling them that there's a problem with their holiday leave. We regret to inform you that the approval of annual holiday leave requests for the next few months would be very limited due to an embargo put in place on the 13th October 2023. As a result of this embargo, we're unable to hire any new staff to cover for existing leave. We kindly request that you only apply for leave if it's absolutely necessary, as we won't be able to cover all annual leave requests due to the shortage of staff. We appreciate your understanding during this difficult time and hope you'll continue to support the team throughout the coming months. Now, I particularly didn't like that last line, but look, it is what it is. Thank you for your understanding, best regards, etc., etc. Now, David Brown said to me, unfortunately, that's not a letter anybody wants to see on the wall of their canteen or wherever they saw it, but it is legal. Management do have discretion when it comes to leave and the allocation of leave must... Um, take into account the needs of the the job. However, he did say that it would be infinitely preferable if that letter had a date on it 
by which you know an end date for this restriction. So if it said, look, we have to place restrictions on leave up to the first of September or the first of October or the thirty first of July, whatever, but there's no date on it. That was the only concern that David had. David Brown of BDM Boyle and Solicitors. Unfortunately, the letter is legal. Now, two unions have been commenting on it. One is the Independent Workers Union, which says it supports the housekeepers completely. The note is a slap in the face to all the staff who, through no fault of their own, are basically being asked to forego their annual leave entitlements. That's a statement issued by IWU, which believes this failure to properly reward housekeeping staff and subsequently obstruct their lawful annual leave entitlements is part of a wider strategy of attacking the terms and conditions of workers and privatising the healthcare system. That's quite a lengthy statement issued by IWU. SIP2 then, uh, Sharon Cregan of SIP2 uh, joins me and you say, Sharon, this problem is kind of global within the health service. It's not just affecting the housekeeping staff. Well, have they come to you about it and asked you to do something about it? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Well, um, PJ, can I just say that the minute that notice went up last week, last Tuesday evening, I was notified of it. I um, I would have hundreds of members in the housekeeping department in the CUH, um, as as I have in other departments also. Um, so therefore, if you know, if something of that nature, which is quite unusual. Uh, for it to be, I suppose, advertised on the notice board if something of that nature is to happen, then I would be notified being okay. the constituent union official immediately. Okay. Has and someone has someone filed a grievance? Sorry? Has anyone filed a grievance about it? You see, it's only now the people are starting to go, we'd say, in terms of March. So it's for the March annual leave. So for January and February, um, annual leave was approved and management had given us some data on that. We're waiting for a meeting with senior management PJ over the next day or so we're hoping to have that very early this week okay. um, and so we, we'd be looking for the as they call it the empirical data as to how many were how many requests were approved in January, February and, Mar- and for March how many were refused what's the reason for the refusal etc but I suppose you said it there in your opening line uh, PJ in terms of the global issue and we're talking now about um, inter- or, say nationally in terms of what's going on um, unfortunately Uh, Within the health services at the moment, there is a recruitment embargo, and that's been in place since the middle of October 2023, Mm -hmm. which is quite a lengthy period of time. Um, And when you have an embargo, you're not allowed, you cannot be sanctioned to approve recruitment within any grade. Um, There was already a shortage of staff within the health services prior to the embargo. You know, I've said it to a number of people in the past, covid has, you know, scared people away from applying for health services jobs, particularly in the grades such as support grades, housekeeping, catering, portering, security and so on, uh, which would always be very heavily populated, which would always, you know, attract people. And and therefore, there was already um, a shortfall of staff or a shortfall of applicants for, Mm -hmm. for positions and now we have the embargo where not only had we a shortfall, we had positions uh, that were empty or vacated before the embargo okay. that can't be filled. We also have positions that have become vacated uh, for retirement, resignation, and, they can't, be, and, and, can't and be they can't be filled. We, we, we understand that. That's the nature of an embargo, and that's unfortunate. But what, yes. what, is the, what is the position of the union with regard to this notice and its implications for staff? 
quietly being told, do you know what now? That annual holiday you take with your family, you'll be letting the team down if you want to take it. That's the message I would take as a worker, particularly from the last line, Sharon. That's not yes. nice. No, absolutely not, PJ. And to be quite honest, you know, it's regrettable that the decision was made to put that on the board. Now, in fairness, I think from the union's point of view, we have said to the management of the department that under no circumstances will any of our members or should any of our members be refused annual leave. You are entitled to your annual leave. You're expected to take it in the year you accumulated it. And the onus is always on the employer to ensure to ensure that your annual leave is afforded to you in the year that it's accumulated. Mm. Now, PJ, we have an issue already with annual leave and the carryover of annual leave where some people would have leave carried over since the COVID period. Now, COVID is still amongst us, unfortunately, but the pandemic has been, you know, the the actual Yeah, pandemic the pandemic is, is, be, is, is behind us. You're saying people have leave held over, yeah? Held over, yes. So not only, you know, was it a problem for people to try to take that leave, which in some cases is quite substantial, but now there seems to be an issue in terms of people accessing their, you know, their legislative rights. This is an employment right. So So, so what is the the union doing about that? The union's position is that we will be doing everything we can to ensure that all of our members who avail of and seek to avail of annual leave, who seek to avail of a day off to attend their child's Holy Communion or family member's confirmation or a wedding or whatever it is, that they will be afforded their annual leave in line with the legislation. Mm -hmm. Because I think that... Because this this letter is almost guilt-tripping them, Sharon, for wanting to do that. And I I, I say that, you know, as as someone who's read it many times and read Mm -hmm. it carefully. The second paragraph is almost a guilt-trip for wanting to well, do things I, like well, that. Well, I'll be honest, PJ, unfortunately, I have to agree with you. It's unfortunate that it was worded that way. Okay. And, and also, you'll you know that we got a, an, a, an employment law specialist on here last week, yes. David Brown. And David said, look, it's, it's legal, but it's not a pleasant letter to find. And secondly, he agreed with me, and I'm just a gob on a stick, but he agreed with me there should be an end date on that letter. Yes. Well, PJ, to be quite honest with you, if, if we, you know, if you could reverse time, we, we would have been saying, please don't put that letter up because it's, it's actually not necessary to put that up. I understand that management may have believed, and I'm not speaking on behalf of management, I'm just trying to speculate on, on the, the rationale. They may have believed that they needed to, I suppose, put people on notice. But the problem here, PJ, is the recruitment embargo. I mean, if you're short 20 staff, and I mean 20 whole time equivalents in a department, which there are within the housekeeping and many more. Mm-hmm. You're talking about 20 times 39 hours a week. That's a problem I mean, that for management, Sharon. It hours. shouldn't be a problem for the ordinary worker. That's no, a problem for not. management. It's a problem it, for management. It's a problem for the HSE overall. It's a problem for government. And when government are sitting there and officials at senior level at the HSE um, turning a blind eye to the issues, and the challenges, which are very difficult, uh, that are emanating from the uh, moratorium, the recruitment embargo, yeah. maybe they need to come down on the ground and look at the staff so, so, that are suffering the effects. So will you be asking as a union, and I'm sure you have the power to do this, will you be asking as a union for that letter to be withdrawn? We have asked for that letter to be withdrawn. My understanding is, PJ, that it has been taken down from the notice boards, but people can't unsee that. And no. to be quite honest, the levels of upset and distress 
and and disappointment and frustration. You know, they're, you, you can feel it. They're palpable amongst the members. And we, the union completely appreciates why that would be. And therefore, we're not happy that okay. that was issued. We're not happy that that was advertised. And we certainly won't be happy. So what might, be, what might be done about it then, Sharon? Well, we sought a meeting with senior management, PJ. We sought a meeting. We also would include the management of the housekeeping department, of course. We have notified our members that this is what it's, this is clarification on it. There's a moratorium. We've notified our members last Thursday evening because I'm on the road balancing PJ, so I'm actually parked up on the side of the road here. So excuse the background noise. Not at all, it's so fine, we've, we've notified our members that we will be seeking, we have sought that meeting with senior management. We've, we've requested it already. Uh, we will be saying in no uncertain terms that we expect that every annual leave request that goes in will be sanctioned. They need to start thinking outside the box. Everybody is going to have to get creative here in terms of the embargo. You know, that's what we do. We have to, you know, be strategic in terms of trying to get staff in, whilst at the same time, you know, management will will need to honour the embargo, if I can say that. But there are other ways. Well, you see, here's the thing about that embargo. Um, That's that's a matter, as you agreed with me earlier on, that's a matter between management and and, and the HSE. And it's a global issue up and down through the, the health services. But here's the thing. This letter reads to me like the staff or the the notion behind this letter is let us use the staff as leverage in our pushback. That's just wrong. Well, it, it is wrong, PJ. As I've said, it's regrettable that that notice was posted. And I'm trying to be diplomatic here now, PJ. <laughs> it's very regrettable that that notice was posted. It's the last thing that our members needed. They're worked to the bone, worked to the bone. They're being pulled from pillar to post because of the shortages of staff. There's no staff being recruited. They can't, the management can't get the locums and students in that they usually do. They'd, you know, get several dozen in for the summer, which would free up positions, which would free up staff to have their annual leave when they're requesting it. Yeah. And there's a massive knock-on effect. And it's not just the housekeeping staff, PJ, understand? I appreciate That's that. Like, I appreciate that very much, but this is the one we're talking right about. Right so across the board. W- will the, will the union ensure, so, Sharon, will the union ensure that if Tom or Mary or Susan or Paul has the week booked with their family to go to Santa Ponza and a long overdue and well-deserved trip that they won't be guilt-tripped for it and then they get Absolutely. their leave. Absolutely, PJ. If people have put in for leave, and what we were told by management, and if you would, if I may, I just want to explain this, is that the, the month of March is now fully booked for annual leave and all requests that were put in uh, within the quota, now everywhere has a quota, PJ. Ah, yeah, yeah, for leave, even in the best of times. that here, like, you know. You know <laughs> if you've served the staff, you have a quota. Yeah. So not everyone can go off at the same time together. And that's very understandable. But we've not. been, and, and we, we just, you know, we can only just at this stage take it in good faith. What we're being told by management is that the quota is full for March. Uh, April and May annual leave requests are being, are being received and they are being sanctioned, is what our understanding is. I was told by management, the following months will have to be discussed. And that's our concern because you're talking about the summer months, which, as you know, us Irish and any other nationality like to head off for the couple of weeks or whatever it is. As well as that, PJ, in terms of employment law around annual leave, you can take, you know, everyone has a statutory right to 20 days per annum. In the HSC, support staff have 23. And that's no, you know, no more than they deserve. They deserve more than that. However, in terms of annual leave, 
you are supposed to take two weeks together. You yeah. know, you, you shouldn't be taking a week, a week, a week, a week, a week. You should be given the opportunity to take a fortnight or two working weeks and you will leave together because it's there. It's not there to cover, you know, staff that aren't around. It's there for your relaxation, Correct. your reconciliation and your, your, your time with your family and your own private time. And it's there for people to step back and I suppose, you know, to, to chill and to then come back refreshed from it. So breaking up people's annual leave uh, in the way that maybe, you know, on the cards here is not an option. And as far as SIP2 are concerned, we will do what we have always done uh, on behalf of our members. We will fight to ensure that they receive what heretofore they always received and that they receive their annual leave entitlement okay. as per their terms and conditions of employment. Okay. All right. Sharon, I'll leave it there and thank you very much. Sharon Cregan of SIP2, who represents uh, those workers and indeed represents many, many other workers uh, within the health service. Appreciate that, Sharon. So we're told by Sharon that the letter has been taken down. She has told me just there in the last few minutes that the union would prefer if its terms indeed were withdrawn entirely, formally withdrawn. 0818-96-96-96. But the, now the, the other union, I don't have anybody with me from the Independent Workers Union, they say it's a slap in the face to all housekeeping staff who through no fault of their own are basically being asked to forego their annual leave entitlements. SIP2, who have been on with me, say anybody who wants their leave We'll get it if it's anything to do with them. It's one we're following with interest. Counting days, counting days Since my love up and got lost on me And every breath that I've been taking Since you left feels like a waste on me I've been holding on to hope That you'll come back when you can find some peace Every word that I've heard spoken since you left feels like a hollow street. I've been told, I've been told to get you off my mind, but I hope I never lose the bruises that you left behind. Oh my Lord, oh my Lord, I need you by my side. There must be something in the water. Cause every day it's getting colder And if only I could hold you You'd keep my head from going under Maybe I'm, maybe I'm just being blinded by the brighter side Of what we are because it's over Well, there must be something in that side I've been told, I've been told to get you off my mind But I hope I never lose the bruises that you left behind Oh my Lord, oh my Lord, I need you by my side There must be something in the water Cause every day it's getting colder And if only I could hold you You'd keep my head from going under Ooh, 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 ooh. Ooh, ooh, ooh. 
love'em lost in Your love'em lost in Your love'em lost in And I'm tired of being so exhausted Your love'em lost in Your love'em lost in Your love'em lost in Even though I'm nothing to you now Even though I'm nothing to you now There must be something in the water Cause every day it's getting colder And if only I could hold you You'd keep my head from going under There must be something in the water Cause every day it's getting colder Every time I hear his voice I think I... I hope he's okay these days. Super voice, bruises. That's Lewis Capaldi, Cork's 96 FM. More on the holiday leave letter next. The word is your chance to win free money on Cork's 96 FM. Listen to Lorraine and Ross in the morning and all day. The word was listening. Thanks very much, lad. Trusting. You won. No way. Oh, my God. Yes way. Berry for the crash. You won! Oh my god, I'm speechless. <laughs> All you have to do is tell us the word. Tell us the word. For your chance to win the cash. Listen after 8, 11, 2, and 5 weekdays to play the word. The word. Only on Cork's 96 FM. Join the conversation. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 This is the Opinion Live with PJ Coogan. Cork's 96 FM. And someone who would prefer to remain nameless, listening to that sip to rep, Sharon. Uh, she sounds more management than a union who fights for their members. Since when did SIP2 work for the HSE? You asked her what she was going to do, yet she danced around the question. She's not actually doing anything. This is a union official. Disgraceful. I listened to those poor staff on Friday. It's heartbreaking what's happening to them. We'll, we'll podcast what Sharon said. She, she said that they're not happy with the notice, that they would like it withdrawn and that everyone should get their leave at the time they want to get it. As I said, we'll let you hear that later on in podcast. Michael, you are a SIP2 member. Is it in housekeeping that you work? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Very good. Do you work in housekeeping? I do indeed, yeah. Okay. And is the letter still, or the note, is it still up? So I suppose, can I just cut across you there and just say, going back to the start of the embargo, which which is grand, uh, look, it does happen, and, and I suppose, you know, we have, to, we have to go with it, but I suppose from a union point of view, we are staff inside the, H, the HSE, that, and we are paying the union to notify us about things like this. This didn't appear on Sharon Cregan's, on Sharon Cregan's desk the, the same day we heard about it, you know? Hmm. Yeah, she said to me. She said to me that she. she Are you there? It was an, yes. Yeah. She said yeah. to me that she yeah. hadn't known it was going up on the wall. Well, and that also it shouldn't have been I put mean, on the wall. <laughs> I mean, that's fair enough if she wants to say that. But like, she's after coming out with a couple of statements there now this morning, which I don't like. And to be honest with you, they're barefaced lies. Well, let's because be careful of accusing. Said, let's be careful of accusing anyone of telling lies, Michael. You do, you disagree with her. No, well, with, I, with what do you disagree? Well, you can put it any way you like. 
But what she said, what she said a couple of days ago on the radio was, "Our hands are now tied. Our hands are now tied." They were hard. They were hard I didn't words, hear but that, my, but let, let's refer to what she well, said to me this, this morning. This is this, this is this is from a radio show there a couple of okay. days ago. Okay, their hands were tied. So I suppose the first thing is I do, and I, I I'm picking up on her points, and I do agree, agree with certain things she is saying, right? So I suppose when the embargo came in, that's fair enough. That happens, right? But, but like during the embargo, what staff were there? Were the staff that were there? No, unfortunately, for whatever reason, staff come and go and they leave and they go on to they go on to other jobs or whatever. So Indeed. it's the same situation with less staff. Yeah, you're expected to go in there and do the same job you're doing with however long you're there. But you're you're under you're under severe pressure, severe pressure. Now, yeah. to be fair to them, to the union, to be fair to them, not everything not everything is 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 the stop is the stop with them. Like, what about the government? What about what what about the government? That I mean, this is a very very serious issue. And you know what? Like, it's been on the radio for so many days. It's a national embarrassment. Mm. It's a national embarrassment. We're paying we're paying the union to get this information. I don't believe. I don't believe, may, I, may, I might be totally wrong, and I, I can only speak for myself, that they only heard about this the last minute as well. Now, for the annual leave coming up in, in March or whatever, now, to be fair, everybody's inside there, and if you want to get your holidays in, you get them in as early as possible. Yeah. If everybody's, if, if everybody's in for the same month, how can it be possible? Indeed, and she said March is booked out, but subsequent months are still open for... Ma- yeah, ma- ma- March matches booked out. So what they say, but like, what about uh, women, women and, and and fathers and mothers inside in that hospital, and their their child is being confirmed inside there? No, what she did say on the phone the other day was, well, if I heard that, I'd certainly be ringing down to management, saying, well, that has that that person has to be off of this and has to be off of that because of convenience. That's mm. not the letter we got. The letter I got stated, the, la- the letter I got stated was, the annual leave is now taken up for March. So, in other words, don't bother asking because it's taken. Mm-hmm. Now, I do not, I do not believe, I do not believe for one second, again, I'm only speaking for myself, that, we won't, that everybody got the same information at the same time. Mm. Is it fair to suggest, Michael, and tell me if it's not, but is it is it fair to suggest that if someone has a communion or a confirmation coming up, that they have several months' notice on what the date will be? Well, like, I mean, at the start of the year, I mean, at the start of the year, and I know a lot of people inside there, in, in the start of January, in the Christmas start of January, they were putting it in. Yeah. And they were, they were saying, before, no, before, before, all, before, before all this started, um, you know, to say that, my child has been confirmed. I want that weekend off. Yeah. Right. So, like, I mean. By the way, I believe I, you should get time off for something like that. Absolutely, you should. We should, but we're told we can't. Yeah. But then they're turning around and telling us their hands are tied. So the people that got, got in for a new leave and fair pay to them got mm. their time off. Mm. But there's other people outside there. And what are they, what are they supposed to tell their children? I know. But you, you, you'd accept, wouldn't you, Michael, that you can't empty an entire department? Either, you can't. But at the end of the day, like going back to the going back to the thirteenth of October last year for the embargo. Yes. I mean, 
Like, we're going into March. Like, surely be to God. Like, if people leave, well, then you have to fill the void, no matter what's in place. Yeah. Because the work cannot be done at, at the, the, if there's people that are leaving. Yeah. The embargo is a, is a problem across the system. Everyone from consultants down to clerical workers are not being replaced, yeah. There is, yeah, and they're on the boat. Um, you know, like, it's right across the board. Healthcare assistants, porters, this and that. I mean, you're talking about the HSE. Like, this is, should be the number one. This should be number one thing across anything yeah. that should be filled. Like there's, like, there's so many different variants of flu and COVID and this and that. There's something new every day. So what that, is like, it you think, Michael, what should a union be doing for you at this point in time? Well, the union, it's too late now because the union should have turned around to us on day one and said, look, it might have still left a sour taste in people's mouths, but they should have turned around and said, look, lads, unfortunately, because of the embargo, which I understand, yeah. because of the embargo, this is right across the line. Yeah. Because the embargo is in place that we we can't we can't hire anybody else. Okay. Let me sure. bring in, stay there, Michael. Let me let me bring in to Janice. Uh, Janice, I'm told that you actually left SIP two and joined the Independent Workers Union over yeah. issues to do with this. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? What do you want to say to me? Um, yeah, I did. I was with SIP2. I'm working in the CUH since 2006, where I was a member of SIP2. Uh, when they failed to help us get the job evaluation, I withdrew my membership from SIP2. Oh, yes, this is the bending. Yeah, yeah. 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 and now I'm with the, the Independent Workers Union. Okay. Um, but, yeah, I just think that... Um, like when Sharon was on there saying that um, that the, the, the notice is after being taken down. Now, it's typical that it's only after being taken down when we're after highlighting the problem and it's a pity that we have to fight for our holidays. Mm-hmm. Will um, you get them now, though? Oh, we can get them now. She has, yeah, she has said that she will. Yeah. Well, oh, I, know, yeah. I know she doesn't represent you anymore, anymore but... Yeah. Yeah. Like I hope, I hope SIP2 represents their members and helps them get their their holidays this time. Um, but it's just that when it had to be highlighted again for them to step up, yeah. a question management, you know. Yeah, I think what happened was people shared the the letter or the note, and that's how yeah. it got into the media. That's how a lot of these things get into the media, Janice. Somebody shares a memo or a note. Stay there a second for me, Gillian O'Shea. Gillian, good morning. Good morning. Hi. You you were a housekeeper, yeah. Yes, yes, okay. I am. Okay, okay. How did you feel when you saw that note going up? It was just a bit frustrating once again. Like, I finished at 8 o'clock that night and just to see it at that hour of the night. I didn't hear nothing beforehand. And, like, I just feel like housekeeping are always getting hit with these, like, do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, like, I know people there in court and I rang one or two going out the road and I was like, did he get any note or anything? They were like, no, no, of course we're hearing about it. Like, yeah. Which they have enough staff, and we're just being told. And I did ask in the office, I said, What's this about? And they said, Oh, you'll have to take it up with whoever is after signing into it. Have, have you leave coming up? Are you going to have trouble? Oh, I have. I, look, I did get my leave approved, but like like that, I have a medical problem for this week, which happened two weeks ago, and I needed a certain day off this week. And I was told, No, nope, couldn't have it because there is no cover. Forget about it. For a, medic- for a medical issue? For a medical issue, yes. Which is out of my control. I can't do nothing about it. No, I finally got it last Friday, but the, for two, the last two weeks of fighting I had to do to get it. Mm. You know what I mean? And I couldn't cancel it because it was medical. 
And, and what do you think unions should be doing to make that easier for you, that you don't have to fight for that particular day? Like, I, like it's just... Like, I fought my own... I didn't bring any union member or anything. I just kind of said, literally... I did literally turn around and say, look, I won't be here. Either way, yeah. give it to me annually, I'll be out sick. It's simple as. That, that's kind of always one of the best first options. Listen, I'm either, I'm either going to be taking an annual leave day or I'm going to be calling I'm, in sick. Either way, I'm not going to be I'm here. I'm giving you notice. Yeah. I'm giving you notice, trying to cover it. Like, do you know what yeah. I mean? I'm, I could have said nothing I ran in sick. I could have said nothing. Do you know? Like... It, it's just getting, it's just always housekeeping. Like, it's just the government has to step in here now and help us. It's the government needs to step up a bit. And what they do they, they what do then? I, you bring Michael back in on that. And what is it, Michael, for example, and Janice and Gillian, if, 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 as you say, the government needs to step in here, we'll say Stephen Donnelly, what is yeah. it that, each of the three of you briefly, what is it that Minister Donnelly would need to do? I'll start with you, Gillian, since you brought it up. He needs to come in and meet with us. He needs to meet up and see what conditions we're working in, once and for all. Like, from the ward I'm working on, which I won't say which ward, we had an uh, influenza breakout. I could change five to six yellow bags a day, eight max, okay? They're the um, hazard bags. Yellow bags and hazard bags, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the hazard bags. And I changed 38 hazard bags on that day alone because of the influenza that's going on. And literally, like... We're being told then we're not in the band into changing all these bags because we're not in we're not in the proper band and we're not even though the other people that take the bags away got the extra yeah, band for taking that's, the bags that's away. That's the banding, which is a little bit and complicated, changed, but it involves it, it affects your yeah, page. It just, yeah. it, it's just they're not recognising us for our work, and then we're talking. That's my point. I was exhausted going home that day, and then we're not being recognised for the work we're doing. Understood. Understood. Yeah. Um, Janice, what do you think should happen here? I mean, it, we should. We we know that he won't, but what should he do? Come in and do I what? Think, I think if he wants to run a safe health system he needs to come to the hospital unexpectedly walk from the front door to the back door see how overworked the staff are see the conditions that they're working in see what the patients are being treated in um, I think HICWA should be in there unannounced um, I think that there should be no um, notice of them coming in um, it's it's dangerous for the workers in there. It's dangerous for the staff. Uh, people are overworked. People are tired of it. Um, there's only so much the girls and the lads outside can do. Yeah. Um, I'm actually out on mat leave at the moment. Um, I'm working in the same department for the last nearly 14 years. And since I'm out on mat leave, there hasn't been a full week where there's full cover there. That's, um, that's just there for two days a week. That's just um, wrong. So, so that, you're, you're both calling on you're both both you and and Gillian calling on the minister to intervene. Michael, I think you'd you'd echo that. I think I think to be honest with you, I, I'd like to see what's actually going on. Bring the minister down for a day and, and put him on and put him on one of the wards. He wouldn't he wouldn't last too he wouldn't last too long. And maybe then they might think actually, do you know what? This isn't working. Like mm. they're spending. So much, and I, I don't know what the figure is, X amount of money, bring in helipads and this and that and everything else. But sure, if you do not have the staff inside there, how can you do the job? Fair point. I what, mean, it's what, common what, sense. What use is a helipad, says you, on the roof or wherever they want to put it, if you haven't got the staff inside to run the place? Michael and Janice and Gillian, thank you all, uh, all three workers there, calling on the Minister for Health to intervene. Sure, we kind of know 
that he won't, calling her for him to make an unannounced visit, sure, which we know that he won't. Uh, and remember, we've had this discussion before. Anytime a minister visits a hospital, and Chris Luke has been here with me and he's said this, how disgusted he's always gotten when a minister comes to the hospital because there's a pantomime put on for the minister to make everything look absolutely wonderful. That is one thing that needs to stop. Thank you all. Listen to Cork's 96FM while you work. While you work. Click listen live at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Hello. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the opinion line with PJ Coogan. 96fm. Gavin, uh, completely. Apropos of nothing we've been talking about, but that's great. That's one of the things about the opinion line. If you think there's something we should be talking about, then it's up to you to contact us and let us know. Gavin raises the issue, uh, contacting us from Tower near Blarney. He says, PJ, could you mention Aaron Bushnell? Aaron Bushnell was a 25-year-old American soldier. He died yesterday after setting himself on fire outside the Israeli embassy in Washington. He said he would no longer be complicit in genocide and that his suffering was minimal compared to that of Palestinians as the humanitarian crisis persists in Gaza. He did this as an act of protest against America's policies in the Middle East. It seems to have gotten very little attention in the media. I thought this would be headline news. Maybe it doesn't fit in with America being the good guy's narrative. Thanks, PJ. R.I.P. Aaron Bushnell, a man wishing to sacrifice his life for peace. And Gavin, thank you for that. I had seen a reportage, shall we say, about um, that young man. Generally speaking, Gavin, it's, it's not the done thing to report on someone deliberately taking their own life. There are guidelines on reporting and discussing a suicide particularly a suicide like self-immolation in a public place. Happy to have you raise it, and if anybody wants to to talk about it, then they're happy to do it, then I'm happy to take their call. But that is kind of why media, other than the actual news media, as in actual news reporting or actual newspapers, would report on the facts of the situation. But that was a young man who felt... That he had no option but to take his own life in a very violent and horrible way in a public place. That is about as much as one can say. Well, thank you for raising it, Gavin. 0818 96 96 96, the number, the text to WhatsApp 083 396 96 96, and the email opinion at 96fm.ie. Just on HSE and SIP2, I've got some comments which I think I might hold over and come back to it and we will podcast all of that discussion before 10 uh, the various sides and various uh, nuances shall we say of the annual leave situation at CUH particularly with regard to housekeeping but have we become more aggressive more nasty more antisocial horrible have we just become as a nation of people 
less tolerant of each other, ruder. Like, if you're to look at some of the recent things we hear of, you'd have to agree that we have. Like, transport workers. Incredible level of antisocial and occasionally violent behaviour. There was a survey. I'm reading from a piece in The Independent written by David Quinn. I'll talk to David in just a moment. But there was a survey found that 80% of transport workers now suffer abuse at work. One in five say it happens every day. Shopkeepers. Uh, This came out at a meeting of the Joint Oireachtas Committee on Employment before Christmas. Shoplifting is commonplace and it's accompanied by threats, violence, obscenities, misogyny and often racist abuse at owners and staff. The INMO, the Nursing Union, has reported almost 850 assaults on nurses and midwives. That was in the first quarter of 2023 alone. They're the only actual figures they have to hand just now. The New Scientist, um, David, you say you came across an article in the New Scientist magazine looking at a possible explanation for all of this. Good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. We're becoming a very nasty nation, I think, David. Well, some of us are anyway. I mean, what you read out there, um, these are the frontline workers who are dealing with the public every single day, whether they be nurses or shopkeepers or bus drivers and what have you. They're all reporting a rise in some really obnoxious antisocial behaviour that goes beyond ordinary rudeness. Um, and so you've got to listen to their voices because, uh, you know, they're the people dealing with the public all day long. And what they're saying is um, that it's got worse since the pandemic, which I found interesting. I mean, this is kind of a consistent testimony from them. Uh, and that kind of hooks into the uh, this fellow who wrote this article for The New Scientist. He kind of said our, our kind of inner antisocial goblins have been released. And he thinks but like what he's saying in the article is um, that we kind of take it for granted that people will become socialised um, as they go along through life. Uh, you know, meaning we just learn to navigate all kinds of social situations differently uh, and, and in the proper way. Uh, I mean, even when you're children growing up and you're playing with other children, you know, you learn what works and you learn what doesn't. Your parents tell you what to do. Your parents, you know, teach you to be polite, hopefully. Mm. All this sort of stuff. Uh, by going into school, by going into work. So the numerous social settings in which we kind of learn social skills. And he thinks that we're, that lockdown helped a lot of people too, if I can put it this way, socially de-skill. That they weren't having face-to-face contact. And this is particularly bad for young people because young people are very much on the kind of socialization learning curve. And if you're suddenly at home all day, maybe in a flat, you see, those of us who live in nice houses, um, you know, we had a certain lo- experience of lockdown, which is probably a lot better than people who are living in maybe a single bedroom flat, um, uh, just having, you know, contact with very, very few people feeling extremely isolated, uh, not even going to school. Uh, schools were closed for a very long time. Some, by the way, and this is, uh, you know, particularly in disadvantaged areas, some pupils never came back to school. So the opportunities for socialization just began to disappear. And uh, if you're not properly socialized, well, then you're not going to be able to handle anything like a stressful social situation. I mean, like at the kind of lesser level of this, I think it helps to explain why social anxiety levels have gone up. 
because obviously social anxiety is partly curbed by just getting used to dealing with different kinds of social situations that mm-hmm. I know how that you know that used but, to be but let's face it, okay, wait, 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 lockdown. Let's let's look at lockdown. Okay, yeah. it was tough. It was yeah. tough. Okay. Yeah. But you take particularly people who are a bit older now than twenty twenty one or two. Mm. You can't blame lockdown for them turning nasty. Maybe teenagers were locked up for a couple of years mm. and, and felt angry at the world mm. for that. And you, you might understand a little bit of that. But people who are old enough to know better have turned very nasty to each other, David. Yeah, no, it's a weird thing, all right. Um, you see, I think like this, I mean, this doesn't come out of nowhere. Uh, I think it had been building up, and I think that, you know, lockdown and so on appears to have made it worse. Because, again, this is the consistent reports coming back from frontline workers that uh, it's got worse since lockdown. So, lo- so lockdown... Oh, hold on a minute. Three- well, long before lockdown, I remember attending nurses' conferences, the INMO, mm. and in mm. every single conference... Every conference, mm. the aggression and nastiness towards people in emergency departments. Around the, and I'm talking about now 10 years before lockdown. I think part of it is um, modern living, there's a certain kind of inbuilt stress level to it. Like, I lived in Australia for a number of years, but that was a good long time ago. Like, I came back in 1993, and I remember seeing road rage in Australia. I'd never seen that in Ireland. Uh, so that's a long time ago. Uh, and now it's, you know, obviously appearing on Irish roads, and it stands to reason, I think, that one of the things that's behind uh, the increase in traffic accidents isn't just increased drug use on roads. I think it's just this increase in stress levels and, uh, and I think that's contributing to road rage. People shouting and roaring at you uh, because they're not getting their own way on the road. Uh, and this seems to be coming increasingly common. Now, I personally, fortunately, haven't experienced it, but I know people who have experienced it. Mm. And, I, and I did experience it first time in Australia. And Australia was a place back then with a much faster pace of life than here. Uh, and I think for a lot of people, they, you know, like the more fast-paced and more demanding life gets, obviously the more stressful and stressed they're going to get as well. And then they start taking it out on people. And I also wonder if at a kind of another level, you see, it becomes a kind of a vicious circle. People start being nasty to you. I think a certain percentage start being nasty back and then it becomes a kind of vicious circle in which everybody becomes nasty to everybody else. And you just have to wonder as well if... You know, like when your mother or your father was kind of teaching you to be polite. You know, they were doing a lot more than we even suspected at the time. Mm. Because you are teaching people, look, in a society you're going to be running into people all day long. You want them to be polite to you. And you should be polite to them back. And actually, everybody wins then. Because as we all know, Mm. you go into a shop, you're nice to the person helping you, and you're going to get better service. Are are you suggesting, David, that modern parenting has lost the teaching of politeness? Um, Well, I think that part of the thing is that um, everybody is so damn busy. All right, so uh, everybody's working very long hours. Well, it's a part of a one, yeah. I mean, maybe I'm being too kind, but I'm sure there's some parents who are not teaching kids those sort of basic manners anymore. But this, by the way, as you say, doesn't excuse the older people. Mm. So you, you make another point in your article that you wanted to come to, and it's this. Yeah. You say, the recent Dublin riot didn't mm. emerge from a vacuum. Mm. And I'm quoting you here now, I'm not even sure how much of it was really connected with the immigration issue. I think you say it was mainly an extreme symptom of the general rise of aggressive antisocial behaviour that's now regularly occurring in shops, hospitals, on public transport and on the streets. Explain yourself there, David, because you know what it followed. You know where, 
what happened before it. Well, like what it reminded me of when that erupted was uh, about 10 years ago um, in, the, in the London area of Tottenham, a big riot broke out. And it got much, much, much worse than what happened in Dublin. And it began to spread across other parts I of Britain remember. as well. Yeah, and it was happening, um, uh, you know, chiefly in disadvantaged areas and was being led mainly by young fellows. Um, and I remember one of the explanations given at the time, and I kind of just kind of struck chord at the back of my mind when um, uh, the Dublin riot happened was no authority figure, and he's no male authority figure in the lives of a lot of those boys. No father around, no male teachers around. Um, don't take part in the We are going down a dangerous road there now, David, uh, because there, well, are many, there are many single mothers that I know that raised fine, solid young men and women. Uh, uh, that's 100% true, but I mean, nonetheless, I think, you know, having a good father around or a good male role model around is a good thing to have, because otherwise we're saying fathers and male role models add nothing to the lives of boys. And I remember community workers at the time of the Tottenham riots were very much stressing that what was happening instead with a lot of these boys, they were turning to extremely negative role models instead, like, you know, gang leaders and that kind of thing. If, they don't, um, if you don't have a good, you're saying if you don't have a good male role model, then you'll turn to a bad one. But like, there's the whole, you've heard, I'm sure, David, of the one good adult theory. That it only takes one good adult. Surely every young fella has access to one good adult. Uh, well, I presume so, yes. But do they have access to one good male role model? And the answer is they might not. And what they might have access to instead is an incredibly uh, negative male role model. Um, I mean, again, just to go back to the Tottenham riots, they were speaking to community workers who had worked in those areas for decades, um, extremely experienced um, in those areas. And this was an observation they came up with again and again and again. Now, I mean, this is something I barely raise in the article at all because I think there's all kinds of other things going on. But I do think a factor at work is... Um, if you don't have a positive male role model in your life, in a minority of cases, you're going to turn to sometimes very bad male role models, as in, you know, gang leaders and this sort of thing, um, and things are going to go wrong. And I think that's something we have to be willing to face up to as well okay. as part of the mix. So you, you, you finish by saying, and I'll finish with this, you say we're supposedly becoming more compassionate, but I'm not convinced... Well, I mean, if the you know rising antisocial behaviour, uh, which nobody doubts, is kind of an indication that well, uh, there's certainly a substantial minority of us are not becoming more compassionate because compassion means just treating each other well and treating each other respectfully, um, and that's not what frontline workers and I think a lot of us in our daily lives are seeing anymore. Uh, so. Uh, I think the rise of antisocial behaviour does challenge the narrative that we're also becoming a more compassionate society, maybe in some ways, but in other ways we're becoming, at least, uh, again, a certain minority of us are becoming more antisocial and the antisocial behaviour is getting more aggressive. And uh, it's something that, you know, which we just need to look into a lot more and try to analyse it properly and find out what the causes are and see if anything can be done about it. Come back to your male role model point here someone mm. is just messaging here uh, my husband died young mm. and I raised two boys and three girls myself mm. they mm. all turned out fine I don't agree with that man and there would be many people like that day yeah but, but but you see I mean to me so okay so you have 
I don't know how many boys who don't have a male role model in their lives. Most of those boys turn out fine, and usually because they have a very good mother or maybe other figures in their lives. But there's no question that there is a minority of boys who don't have a male role, a positive role model in their lives who turn to negative male role models. And as you know, there's been, the, there's been discussions about this guy, Andrew Tate. Yeah. Huge uh, big social, social influencer who is an extremely negative male role model for a lot of boys who are turning to him. And so there was all kinds of people raising rightly, um, you know, an alarm about the millions and millions and millions of young fellows who go looking at him, who teaches misogyny. Now, if that's a bad thing, so, so that's kind of proof that there are guys looking for male role models and some of them look in the wrong directions. Uh, but they are looking for a male role model. Mm. So they have to look in the right direction. And I just think it's kind of naive to say that um, lacking a male role model, positive male role model, will never have ill effects. I just, because it's kind of an insult well, to well, Be careful, you see, you want, you're, you're treading a fine line, David. You're treading yeah. a fine no, line there. And on one side of that line mm. is your anti-single mothers. No, do you see? That's <laughs> the one side of the line now, David. <laughs> You have to be allowed, though, to say fathers can add something positive to the lives of There are of many boys. fine boys being raised by lesbian couples, for example. But do fathers, does a good father add something positive to the life of their children? That's my question. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, so what's the answer? What's the answer? Does a good father add something positive and invaluable? Abs- absolutely, <laughs> but if one isn't lucky enough to have a good father, I mean, yeah. I have, you know, we've all got that friend whose dad died when they were three, and they turned out to be fine people. <laughs> Obviously, um, uh, in most cases... Go- and good mothers make wonderful, wonderful children. 100%. Nonetheless, I, I mean, it shouldn't be a controversial thing to say that it is a good thing to have a positive male role model in your life and it is a positive thing to have a good father in your life and that something is no, that's a wonderful thing I, 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 was, I was privileged to have a, I was privileged to have a most incredible father in my life for 53 years yeah, and I was lucky to have a good father as well. And you see, okay, so you're saying you were lucky to have a good father. I was lucky to have a good father. Some people are not lucky to have a good father. Some may have a bad father or some may have no father around at all. This shouldn't be a controversial thing to say. It's just kind of funny that we got to a point that it's become controversial to say it is a good thing to have a good father in your life and that some children are, 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 don't have a good father in their lives, or possibly no father at all in their lives. We should just be able to say as a society, it's a good thing to have a good mother, and it's a good thing to have a good father as well. That shouldn't be a controversial statement, but somehow it has become a controversial statement, but it ought not to be a controversial statement. All right, let, let, well, let's throw it out there and see what people think. David Quinn, thank you very much. We started talking about journalist David Quinn. We started talking about the rise in antisocial behaviour. Uh, some of that is being attributed by researchers now to lock down in its effect on us socially, that's one thing. But then David goes down that road of a lot of the... And he would say that a lot of the young men in the Dublin riots back that we all watched with horror before Christmas, he, he was questioning what positive male role models did they have in their lives. And he goes further down that road and he says, well, what was the influence of their fathers? Did they have fathers? 
Now, I appreciate what he says, having had a wonderful father, who I still think to myself every day, I wouldn't be a third the man I am without him. And, and if I amount to being... If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. A quarter of what he was. I'll have done myself. But not everybody's as lucky as that. And I have friends who lost their fathers very young. I have friends whose fathers were arseholes, let's put it that way. They turned out all right. I'm just a bit concerned by where David is going with that. But he makes the point that it's it's he should be entitled to say it, that it's better for a child to be raised by a good mother and a good father. And he is putting it down. He's putting a, he's putting some of the antisocial behaviour that's going on in our world down to that. The only pushback I'd have is the antisocial, nasty, horrible, and aggressive behaviour we're seeing is also coming from people who are well old enough to know better. I go to, I'll take the break first, then I go to Kaz. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Join the conversation. Email opinion at ninety six fm dot ie. This is the opinion line with PJ Coogan. Cox ninety six fm. Kaz, you were listening to David. Good morning to you. Morning, PJ. How are you getting on? Good. He's got a lot to say. He's treading a fine line, though. I think between making a solid point about a good male influence in a young boy's life and pushing back kicking out at single mothers. It's a fine line. 
It is, but you know what? I was listening to him and I didn't feel like it was an attack on single mums. Okay. I felt, I genuinely felt, I don't know the guy at all. So just listening to him, to me, it sounded like he was just saying, there's so many factors involved, one of which, and I didn't include it hugely in my article, which I also haven't read, um, but he said, I didn't include this massively in my article because there's so much more around it. But I do think having a positive male role model is a good thing. I don't think there's anything... I mean, I, I absolutely, you know me, I'm an LGBT ally, right? So I always stand up for whoever I feel needs to be stood up for. But I do think there is something positive about cis males having strong cis male role models and all of that. Like, I'm one of the people who lost their fathers when they were very young, but I turned out okay. Do you know what I mean? Hmm. So, like, but I'm married to an incredible man who's an incredible father. So, but I have daughters. But for me, I don't know where my girls are going to end up on that little rainbow of sexuality or whatever. But they have a good role model of this is what a functioning, healthy partnership looks like. Mm-hmm. No, so they happen to have two cis heterosexual parents, but what we're modelling is a healthy, stable, happy, loving, supportive relationship. So I think, you know, it all depends. I think once you have good people in your life, once you have good adults in your life as a kid, I think it's definitely a bonus. Well, that, well that's the whole. That's dad. that. That's a whole theory. Good ad. The one good adult yeah. theory. That every one child has the right to have yeah. one. And that can be a complete stranger or it can be a yeah. relative. Or a teacher or it could be a friend's yeah. parent or it could be once you have one adult who genuinely thinks the sun shines out of your you know what. I think that gives you a huge, a huge boost. And I think we need to raise our kids with a lot of confidence and a lot of self-esteem. Mm. And I don't think we're doing that mm. as, as much as we need to. You know, I well, think we come from a culture yeah. of, you know, respect your elders, do this, do that. And I do, I absolutely, you know, my kids know I want them to be respectful people. But if you need to prioritise your safety over being respectful, then you get to be as rude as you want and I will have your back for it. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I'll give you an example. When we were, um, you know, I'm in Cove, right? And we were in the Titanic bar years ago. Now my eldest is 12. She would have been about five at the time. And I was in there with my mum and um, we were leaving and there was a man sitting down, an older guy, I'd say in his 70s, clearly uh, had a couple of pints, whatever, just put his hand out to shake my little one's hand and she didn't put out her hand to shake his hand. And my mum said, oh, shake his hand, don't be rude. And I said, it's okay, you don't have to shake his hand if you don't want to. Mm-hmm. But what she did then, because her granny had said shake his hand, she put out her hand to shake his hand and he took her by the hand and grabbed her, pulled her in, sat her up on, her, on, her, on his lap and gave her little kisses on the cheek. Very inappropriate. Completely inappropriate. She was absolutely terrified. I felt by looking at this man that he genuinely meant her no harm, right? I really don't believe there was anything um, dodgy going on. We'd have to to accept that, but it still was inappropriate. It was totally inappropriate. So I said, take your hands off my child. You have no right to pick her up. You have no right to hug her and kiss her. I said, she didn't give you consent. Right, which sounds mad when you're talking about a five-year-old, but I said it because I needed her to hear me say it, Mm. you know. And he let her go immediately. He was all apologies. I said thank you. I picked her up and we went out, and uh, we went out to the car. And he followed us out to the car, and she was really scared. And I said, "Get into the car, love. You're fine. I'll talk to him." And he came out and he said, "I'm so so sorry." And he pulled a picture out from inside his coat and he said look she looks really like my granddaughter and I'm missing her because they're after moving to the UK whatever so he was completely harmless there was no Mm -hmm. malice in Mm -hmm. that 
Mm-hmm. But his behaviour was inappropriate. But I didn't feel I needed to kick off and start screaming and shouting. I yeah. needed to model for her that I can handle this situation in a respectful manner while still maintaining balance. You handled it brilliantly. But there are people, no. Kaz, who would have drawn town around them. Yeah. And, and made a total show of the poor man. I know, I know. But look, I, I kind of go through life believing that people have good intentions until they show me otherwise. You know, and I was saying um, in my text there when I texted through, all behaviour is communication, right? This is one of the most fundamental things about parenting, right? If your toddler is picking and screaming and acting out, they're not doing it as a toddler to piss you off. Sorry, to annoy you, right? Sorry, you <laughs> Speak plain English, you know I mean? if you will. <laughs> it's, yeah, but, it is, but it's behaviour. So when they're that young, they don't have the language to say, hey, I'm feeling really frustrated by this situation. I'm very warm in this room and I'm really bored by the conversation you're having with all the other grown-ups and I want to go play. Do you know what I mean? So if you look at people like Dan Siegel, Gabor Maté, Gordon Neufeld, they will all kind of explain even how adults, when they're acting out and having adult tantrums and acting like a Karen or whatever, an awful lot of that is communication. They're feeling inadequate, they're feeling insecure, they're feeling whatever. Now, there is a certain level of entitlement, right? There's an now, awful lot of Some people, Kaz, let's face it, sometimes an arse is just an arse. Yeah, absolutely. They're out there. A hundred percent. No, there are, but there are also people who grow up in Ireland with massive mental health issues or who develop mental health issues, um, and we don't have the services mm. to support them. Do you know? So, like, you have kids now. So, I'm I'm still at primary school level. We're moving to secondary school level next year. But I know an awful lot of kids who are waiting on assessments for different things. There could be neurodiversity. There could be mental health. There could be behavioural disorders. But they could be on a waiting list for three or four years. And we have, like, amazing support in our school. Our principal is, I will go to my grave saying it's the best principal in Ireland. Um, We have incredibly uh, supportive staff. We have an amazing support structure in the school. But there's only so much that they can do. There's only so much, you know, uninformed. Because you don't know this. You don't get a handbook when you have your child saying, in the case of neurodiversity, do this. In the case of mental no, health no, issues, there's do no instruction this. Do you know what I mean? So we're all learning on the fly and we are going to make mistakes. And I think we just need to give each other a bit of grace. But I do think we need an awful lot more investment in mental health in Ireland. And I do think that a lot of behaviour can be you know, linked back to, and it doesn't have to be like a huge mental health issue. But if you're feeling stressed or if you're feeling rushed and you come home, you know, you might be that little bit touchier than you would be mm. with your significant other or whatever. And so you just kind of give each other space, kind of recognise, okay, that person's had a bad day. I'm just going to let them have a couple of minutes themselves, let them chill out. I'm not going to ask questions. I'm not going to yeah. do this. You know, you just, I think we just need to give each other a bit of grace. We need to be a bit more compassionate with each other. And we need to consider behaviour. Like, what is this behaviour telling me as opposed to just instantly pushing back and fighting back and raising yeah. the aggression level. My wife often quotes a psychologist she used to work with long ago mm-hmm. who wore a, t- a T-shirt which on the front of it was WTF. And of course everyone <laughs> thought everyone thought that was what the, you know? No. Yeah. When you sat down with her she said, what's the function? And as a yeah. psychologist she said, every behaviour has a function. And figuring yeah. figuring it out is part of her job. Kaz, great call. Thank you, as always. 02-0818-96-96-96. Oh, oh, so, Anna, to the road rage thing, because you experienced this recently, there seems to be a, a, a big a big increase in, in road rage. Morning. Morning. How are you? Um, 
Yeah, like I suppose what Anna was just saying there, or what um, Kaz was just saying there, sorry, um, about like having compassion for each other and things like that. Um, Friday morning, just gone, I nearly, I swear, I felt I was taking my life into my hands with um, some of the people I encountered on the same one journey. Um, So in my estate, uh, just outside my estate, when you're coming out, there is a yellow box for you to go right. It's a very busy road outside our estate. And this guy was parked with, like, let's say he had his two front wheels kind of in the yellow box. But there was space for me to go in there and there was no one coming from the other way. So I looked at him. He looked at me, rolled his eyes and kind of was gesturing me like, oh, come on, so come in, you know. So I drove into the yellow box. We proceeded down the road and there was um, traffic lights. So I, the car in front of me kind of sped off as the light just changed amber. So obviously it just got to red when I got to the line. The guy behind me starts effing and blinding inside in the car. Beep. And I mean now he put his hand on the horn at full speed, like me, me, me. And it was absolutely raging that I basically didn't go through an amber light and break a potential red light because it was a big enough junction. Mm. And in my head I was going, what is this man's issue? So anyway, we carried on off on our journeys. He went left, I went straight on. That was fine. About three minutes later, I was coming on, um, do you know the slip road off the Ballancolic bypass I when do. you join the link? I so do. you have to speed up there because it's, it's, it's 120 along there. Like, yeah. So I started speeding up and there's a man directly in the lane next to the slip. I could not go anywhere. But he didn't speed up and he didn't slow down to let me merge in. He drove alongside me and left me driving in the hard shoulder up as far as where there is a Garda point for, you know, the speed checks or whichever. There's like a little, you know, the little turn off to just say Garda point only or whatever, no parking. Mm. Up to that point. And eventually I sped up a little bit and I cut in in front of him. And when I looked, he was doing a hand gesture that would be of a sexual nature towards me. And then all kinds of fingers being thrown up in the air and absolutely raging he was inside in the car. Was and it I the same nothing. fella who'd beeped at you? No. no. Completely different man. Two different men in the one morning within five minutes of each other. Yeah, yeah I saw it. Thank you, Anna. I saw something actually the other day and I thought, this was two lads involved in this one. So I was coming into town by the link road there. So I was coming from, shall we say, from the magic roundabout into town on the link. And it was a busy old day, so there was a bit of traffic, and I was stopped at the lights there. You know the lights there by, by the park and ride and by the dump as it was coming in. And I was stopped, and there was a fella got out of a van, and another fella got out of a truck, and the two of them were standing on the road, roaring at one another like two prize bulls in the middle of the street in the middle of the day. I have no idea what it was about, but they were making a show of themselves. One was standing at the door of the truck and the other fella came over to the truck. Sorry, he was in the truck and the other fella comes over and he goes banging on the door of the truck. Your man came down out of the truck and the two of them stood there roaring at one another. Now, before I had a chance to find out what they were roaring about, the light went green, which kind of, (laughs) I'd prefer to have stayed for it, but you know yourself. D, listening to David. Morning. Good morning, TJ. Your thoughts on oh, David? My thoughts on David. If I had him, I'd strangle him. <laughs> How dare he? 
I brought my son up on my own and he turned out to, out to be a very good young man. He went over backwards to help people. He's never been in trouble. How dare he? And to be fair to him, he did say, well, there are many women like you. Yeah, there are more of us than there are couples. I live near a school and I swear to God, I've never met such a bunch of rude children when they're coming out. They bash into you, they bang. I go out on the road when the school is coming out because I don't want to get... They had no manners whatsoever. Mm. Yeah. Sorry, no, but you can have two parents that still turn out bad. Yeah. You can yeah. have two I, parents. What, what I think you're suggesting to me is that some of the kids coming out of the school, you know they have two parents. Yeah. And they, they're not turned off. Yeah. That's the thing. But the parents are standing there yapping away and, and they kind of look and go, hmm, nah, and then turn away again. Mm. It's too much, no. They're never pulled up on what they've done wrong. Psychology does tell us, and I've read research on this because oh. I would have disagreed with it, but I went to read it when I was asked to read it. Oh. <laughs> the greatest influence on a child's life is the parent of the same sex. Really? Yeah, that's what psychology oh tells God. us. And that well, I if. And that I don't if, believe psychology. But, but that's what psychology <laughs> tells us. Um, you would do the job of two people, fair play to you. Yeah. But they say that the greatest influence in a, in, a, in a child's life is the influence of the same-sex parent. Oh, what was that, sir? You know, but... Yeah, well, I suppose it means if, if, if Dad is a gobshite, then there's a... If I had chance. stayed with his father, God only knows where he'd be now. That's the truth. Yeah. But uh, his father was an alcoholic, it turned out. Yeah. I know. I moved. I moved over to Scotland to be with him, and I wasn't long moving back. <laughs> I think you told me that before. I, I tried. I, before. I tried. I know. D. No, and, and you did a super job. What age is he now? Thirty-six. Thirty-six, and he's a fine job. He's in his own house, and he's doing very, very well. Good for him, and good, for, and, and good for you, and well done. And there are, like you said, there and you're th- there are thousands like you, thousands like you. Come here, stay with Road Rage for Road Rage for a second. Anna's call there. Two incidents of Road Rage within the space of fifteen minutes. Men. Men, one fella beeping the life at her on a yellow box junction, and the other, and it sounded to me like the other guy was trying to hem her in and stop her going onto the slip or going off the slip road onto the link or onto the motorway. And when she got her opportunity to cut him off, as she was entitled to, he made a very rude gesture, and you could see he was screaming at her. Is it men? involved in road rage or have you come across angry females on the road? Do women handle road stress differently? Oh eight three three ninety six ninety six ninety six. Personally I rarely I rarely get stressed on the road myself because I love driving. And but if I see someone acting the aegis, I kinda try and draw a breath and kinda stay away from it. Your thoughts are welcome. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Is it men? Is it always men who have the road rage, or have you come across women who tear you a new one for no reason? Open to you. The word is your chance to win free money on Corks ninety six FM. Listen to Lorraine and Ross in the morning and all day. The word was listening. Yeah! 
Thank you very much, lad. Trusting. You won. No way. Oh, my God. Yes way. Dingleberry for the crash. You won. Oh, my God. I'm speechless. <laughs> All you have to do is tell us the word. Tell us the word. Say for your chance to win the cash. Listen after 8, 11, 2 and 5 weekdays to play The Word. The Word. Only on Cork's 96FM. Join the conversation. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. This is the Opinion Live with PJ Coogan. Cork's 96FM. Now you heard it this morning at 9 o'clock, Shania Twain. Booked for Musgrave Park, Virgin Media Park, whatever they're calling it this week, for the 25th of June. Lisa, you must be raging because you already booked Dublin. Morning. Hi, PJ. Small bit, all right. Um, <laughs> myself and my friend were so excited last week. We were like, oh, yay, we're going, we're going. Um, I went, she got, my friend got the tickets. And I was like, right, I'll do the accommodation side, no problem. Yeah. And I was very lucky now I got accommodation for 189 um, for the room, which was exceptional for Dublin. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Uh, and we were like, oh, this is great. We'll have a great night in Dublin. And then you broke the news to me this morning. And I was like, uh, did I hear that right? Yeah. And um, I think it was just like, we were very lucky in the cost for the hotel and everything, but other people going up from Cork are probably like, oh my God, we paid 300 euro or whatever for an, for accommodation, you know, to go up and see her. And she's in Cork now. Know. You know, oh, well. we could have saved a lot of money going up and everything, you know. Yeah, I suppose if they announced the two on the same day, the Dublin one wouldn't wouldn't attract a crowd from around the country, you see. So they announced them differently. I had a smell that Shania Twain might be announcing for Cork, but I wasn't sure if it was going to happen. Uh, but yeah. yeah, she announced this morning. But 189, where were you staying? A tent? Um, no, it was actually um, the Premier Inn near in Swords. So oh, I know the, the one by the airport. Nice yeah. hotel. That's that's expensive for a Premier Inn, though. But good value yeah, for Dublin. Good, good value for Dublin. Good value for Dublin, exactly. Cheers, yeah. Cheers, yeah. No, there's a lot of stuff now coming up to Dublin. A lot of stuff coming into Dublin, Lisa, that we just won't go to now. Because yeah, it's, exactly. you can't justify the cost of staying over. No, no, no. But we were very lucky with the price. But I just hope other people didn't have to pay that much. And, Will you still you know, go? Oh, God, yeah. Oh, my God. I wouldn't say no to that Will concert you? in the middle of the year. <laughs> no, but, I think she'll be a popular one. I think she'll, I think she'll sell <laughs> yeah. out. I think she's, yeah. Where is it yeah. she's playing Dublin? It's a big, big enough venue, is it? In Malahide Castle. Malahide Castle. So, That's a yeah, nice venue. Yeah, yeah. So nice it was one. kind of hard accommodation very close to Malahide. So, yeah. so next over. So the guy on the phone in the hotel actually told us that the bus is kind of not too far from there. Right. That we get to, get to Malahide Castle. So I was like, sorry. And, that, and that's a nice hotel that Premier Inn actually have stayed there once or twice. Oh, I'm nice looking place. forward to it. All right. <laughs> when is that on again? The 28th. So the Friday night. All right. Okay. Lisa, thanks. 28th. And uh, she's playing here on the 25th, which is well, on Tuesday. Tuesday. They got 189 for a hotel room. Isn't that gas in 2024? We think 189 for one night for two people in Dublin is a bargain. It is a flipping bargain. Uh, she's booking, though, this morning. <laughs> and she'll still go. She'll enjoy it. Shania Twain, in case you missed it, Shania Twain announced for uh, Musgrave Park, Virgin Media Park, 
on the 25th of June. Tickets on sale Friday. I think they're about 80 or 90 for uh, the, the Cork gig. Oh, go on then. Oh, go on, so. That's a song to be built now to cross Cork on the 25th of June. Shania Twain, don't impress me much on Cork's 96 FM. 0818969696. On Road Rage, PJ, I don't know if it's just me, but at junctions, men tend to let me out onto main roads first in, over females. They just seem to want to get through as fast as possible with no manners. That's, that's Pat. On male influences, there's quite, quite an amount of stuff uh, responding to David on male influences. What if a father had passed away or there were same-sex parents? I don't agree with that, man. Why do you entertain people like that on the radio, says Martin. Well, Martin, we, we take any view here. It's called an opinion line and everyone's got one. So we mightn't agree with it, but do you suggest that because you don't agree with it, we wouldn't put it on? Uh, father's, uh, yeah, some of his points are valid, I think, but he's very small-minded. My girl's just out, turn, turned out just fine with plenty of good morals and respect. They both had different fathers. I'm lucky my girls are like me. He's completely crossed the line what he's saying. Fathers can always add something positive to their lives. Uh, if they don't, they shouldn't be around their children. I was lucky my own father's a great man. Kind regards, Shirley. Yes, I'm very lucky. I did it all by myself. David is right. Parents are not raising their kids correctly. Too much on social media. No clear boundaries for people on society. And the cops should be able to kick ass. People need to cop on a bit, says Robert. Uh, John makes the point, and a valid point, PJ, anti-social behaviour was prevalent well before lockdown. We all know that. Lockdown is not an excuse. That's one of the points David makes in his article in the Irish Independent. That things seem to have gotten worse, and indeed he's not the only one pointing it out. Many observers have pointed out that things have gotten worse since lockdown. And part of the article he wrote in the Irish Independent was maybe analysing why that might be the case. Um, with regard to young people, they were prevented from living their ordinary, regular, proper lives for months on end at a time. And could that be partly to blame with how arrogant and aggressive some of them have become now? I personally don't buy it, but he's entitled entitled to make that point. Because there was anger and aggression and nastiness in society before lockdown. There's probably more of it there afterwards, but yeah, I don't know. Your thoughts are very welcome. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Let me just before we go to news, mention a man who passed away at the weekend. We got him asked to mention the sad passing of Paddy O'Sullivan, former president of Nemo Rangers, uh, passed away or his death was announced on Sunday. He was a great president for the club and indeed a great Nemo man. It might surprise you to know I knew Pat Sullivan well. I knew him. All my life. Hadn't seen him in a long time, but I knew Pat very well. Um, and uh, was sad to hear of his passing on Sunday. But thank you for that. 0818 96 96 96. You want the biggest hits? Yeah, we are really hooked on this now. Oh, this song is class. Oh my God, when I just tore it down, I got into the cars, it just bought it right back. You got them right here. The Hit Mix. The Hit Mix. On Cork's 96 FM. 
was listening to us talking with Shania Twain and the fact that people have bought tickets for Dublin and bought accommodation for Dublin and then she announces at Musgrave Park. DJ, I bought tickets for the Wolf Tones at the Three Arena for October. Booked the Gibson Hotel, I know it well, right outside the arena, 300 euro for the night. Then they announced their gig in Musgrave Park. Thankfully, I was able to cancel the hotel resell my tickets and just save myself between four or five hundred quid between hotel travel food and drink and to make it even better I live in Ballyfehan so I can walk <laughs> thanks Eric 0818 96 96 96 the number text to whatsap 083 396 96 96 and the email opinion at 96fm.ie now the current series of first dates is turning up rather a lot of park people and rather a lot of fun is being had as a result, listen to these two. This is Owen and Lorraine, who were on episode eight of the latest series. I had a kind of bad boy type. Do you know, like a boy, oh, like, do you know? They'd have a fancy car, you would take her, oh, I want to be with them. And then when they don't all work out, like, what you see, like, do you know what I mean? They're only in the end, really. Like, it's nice to have someone with a bit of out on, something that you're attracted to, but not just the personality as well, like, do you know? I'm from Cork. Yeah, yeah I know, yeah. everyone's like, oh, you're from Cork, I know the accent. Like, it's a bit of a tick accent. I'm yeah. from the city centre. It's kind of nice to have someone, just someone to vibe with, really, like, to have good conversation. I suppose someone like myself. Yeah, I'm picky. Like, I could pick out the silliest thing in someone that I'm just, no, I just, ah, her hair, just didn't like her hair. Something just, like, ridiculous. Like, if a girl come up to me and was chatting to me, I'd be thinking, oh, she's just being friendly. Then they'd go into, like, they're, no, she was kind of, she was flirting with you. And I was like, what's she? Should they do this? Am I first there? No, you're not. Damn it. <laughs> Where are you from? I, Cork. I am too. What part of Cork are you from? I, Blarnish, right? Oh, very good. I'm from uh, Toker, Ballabehan. Yeah, I was going to get yeah. the accent a bit like. Yeah, yeah. It's a city centre accent. I know, it is, isn't it? I kind of rage because they should have, we could have met down below. <laughs> save the old, save us coming up. Like. Wasted a trip. Now, then they had dinner, and then they had the thing afterwards, right? You know, they all, would you see each other again? Now, I just grabbed this because could this be any more cork like? Would you like to see each other again romantically? I'm going to have to leave. The lady office. Ah, come on, come on. No, I'm, I'm old-fashioned, I'm a gentleman. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, I'm not sure. Owen? Like me, I don't, like, jump to saying... Yeah, like, I same. think, you're, like, you're very attractive and, like, obviously you're, like, you're a good-looking girl and stuff. But, like, I wouldn't jump to say... <laughs> He's exactly the same, yeah, it's like, So where did you say you were staying again? I'm not telling you that because you could turn up at the... Oh, fuck off. We can't stop. You know, they don't worry about it. I think we're very confused now. Do you mind if I take the lead in this? 
too. Yeah, I work with. Yeah. No. I think what I think what you're saying. I think what See, you're trying, this is what I said. I think what you're trying to say is that look, it's very hard to say it on a first date when you just met and you're so similar. So similar. It's but weird. Will, we, will we have a second date? I say a hundred percent yes. Yeah, we'll see anyway. Yeah, definitely. We'll see anyway. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, is that, yeah, yeah. Well, that's exactly what he was saying. I bet you, and he's. I said no. No, I said hundred percent. I'd have another date after his few drinks. Yeah, yeah, I would have another date though. I would really? definitely that's meet up. Yeah. Could there be any more Kirk Owen? How are you, Peter? How are you? All right. Was there another date? Oh, if we were left alone any longer, I'd say one of our pictures would be on Prime Call. <laughs> You seem to get on like a house on fire, but you were never more than a few seconds away from a row. Oh, I I don't know how we got out alive. Really? Like, like yeah, it was it was a very good, it was a very good date. Like we had a good a good laugh, but we were just so 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 similar. Yeah, it was it was insane. Yeah. It's like a female. She was a female me. She says whatever and comes into her mind. I do the exact same. I yeah. don't have my. I don't take the five-second rule. I just come straight up with it. <laughs> yeah, the bleep machine was very busy. Yeah. So you'd be great friends, I'd say. I'd say even as friends, we'd kill each other. Would you? We'd, we'd <laughs> go over everything. But in, in, uh, in, a, in a positive way, if you, if you can understand. Like, it's, it's kind of hard to kind of see how it comes across. But we actually had a, we actually had a great laugh through the whole day. Yeah. It, it looked uh, like, well, it was funny. I mean, I I kind of watch first dates only when there's no one in it from Cork, and and you were funny. You were, and I said you were pure Cork, like pure pure Cork. That's that's why I grabbed the bit at the end. So, is there a possibility, like, of seeing each other again? Uh, no, no, I'm I'm staying well away from talker. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're talking to a talker boy here now. I know that it's just safe for me to stay up on my side of the river here, I'd say. For like for a year or so, anyway. <laughs> Come here, did, did I read you were spotted at the rugby match over the weekend? Oh, stop. I was. I went up to the Welsh game, and I was in the train station, in the restaurant, walking up to my seats. All it was just people just shouting across first dates. Go away! I was just kind of, oh, I couldn't, I actually didn't realise how kind of far-reaching the show goes, and who and who actually watches it like I was getting clips from friends of mine in uh, Los Angeles really and people people in Canada oh I woke up to videos and clips and I was just kind of going oh my god because I didn't realise like, how far reaching it was when, when was it filmed on? Uh, August August so yeah and had you any any idea at the time like just how wide, because you wouldn't, the last thing I would, it's the last subject I'd ever have expected to come up on the terraces at a flipping rugby match. Absolutely. My, my friend was, he, he was just kind of going, I actually cannot believe the amount of people that actually watched the show. And I was, it's a little bit surreal. Said I was very kind of, I won't say overwhelmed because all the comments I was getting from people were all, like they were all kind of like, you were funny, like you, we really enjoyed you. And you know, like we're, are you going to meet up again? You know, everything was very positive. Yeah. But um, but it was kind of overwhelming on the time, all right. Especially the one in the stadium. That kind of really threw me off. What did someone say to in the, in the stadium? Yeah, they shouted. They shouted across as I gone up to my seat. Like a few people, <laughs> we saw you on first dates and all, and you were all. And I was kind of going, "Oh my god, get me up to my seat quick." <laughs> 
<laughs> Would you do it again? Would I do it again? Look, um, it's a long kind of a process. Would I would I go on the show again? I probably would. I mm. probably would because it was it was very enjoyable. Uh, as I said, the the crew, everything up there, all the staff, like they make you feel very comfortable, very yeah. What would I say? Very welcoming. Like you don't need the only one. We only see an hour of it. There, How long is the evening? Uh, the date lasted like in about an hour and a half. Right. Okay. But then you're, like, you're doing filming beforehand and then you're doing filming after. Yeah. So I'd say the whole thing is probably three hours. Right, right. And you were saying there was something that was there something that you didn't like? To... Well, no, there was only one thing that really threw me off. I would say, no, it kind of threw me off my game a bit because when you actually, you know, you walk into a restaurant in a bar, you open up the door, it's, you hear bustling noise and yeah. music in the background. When you open up the door, it's just silence. No, yeah. So they have to uh, put in that. So that really kind of threw me at the start. You're walking into a studio, like, yeah. But I just said, then when once we got once we the minute we started talking, I like after about ten seconds, I said, right, this is going to be a good day now, but we're going to kill each other. Yeah, I definitely got that impression. Like you would, you did get on, and and I did see the north side south side thing coming out. Now, to be fair, you would spot that, wouldn't you? Oh yeah, the banter straight away from mm. the get go was. <laughs> Did someone shout at you, Yeah, first date, Langer? Yeah, up in the stadium, I didn't want to say it on an air, but uh, on. they said to me, uh, yes, That's all right, Langer, we all got each other, Langer. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Where, where do you work, Owen? I work up in a bar, Horgan's Bar up in Blarney Street. Oh, crying, I'd say you got a fair old doing over there, did you? Or will you? Have you been to work since it went out? No, not yet. You'll get but, uh, roasted. You know that, don't you? Oh, the, this slagging has already started. Yeah. Well, when, are you on, uh, when are you on next? I nearly go up and see that. <laughs> oh, I'm, actually, I'm on tonight, actually. <laughs> so I'm dread. I'm absolutely dreading it. <laughs> the regulars of Hargan's Bar will all have seen first dates, you know, before they go in tonight. Oh, I should they all have seen. Should have, the bar was full watching it. I as I said, I didn't know what I was signing myself up for, but yeah, you know what? It was It's all good. Like, I can good. give a good slag and so, you know. Don't it's all good nature. Have you contact since? Uh, no. 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 All right. no. Better off just keeping a safe distance. <laughs> and they tell me that you're seeing someone anyway. Yeah, yeah, life is good at the moment for me, good so for I can't really, good uh, for you. I can't complain about it's it. A good, it's a good laugh, and yeah, I know, yeah, you see, you'll be a true nari there, and I, you'd, you'd almost want, you'd almost want a special derogation from, from the bishop to see us outsider, I know that, like. And, and another thing is, you know, when you get two Cork people together, yeah, the Cork accent really does come out. Oh, it does? Oh God! You know I, I was laughing at that. I was absolutely laughing because the two. It was like actually there was, at one point I thought, no, had they even forgotten the camera was there, and they were just getting stuck into the conversation. But you actually you would actually forget that you're actually being filmed. Like oh, would when you? I when I I, I, I I did not remember me asking her, "Do you ever get tired?" From all the talking, and yeah. when I saw that played back, I nearly fell off the chair. Yeah, yeah. Because the, the theme of the show that night was opposites attract, but sure, she were you were almost the same. We were almost the same, yeah, yeah. We were just kind of, we were just kind of hopping off each other. Yeah. But yeah. as I said, it it was all good fun. Good. All right. Nobody, no, nobody died anyway. 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, we haven't been through Horgan's Barry yet. Listen, good luck, Owen. Uh, good luck for the future. And he's working tonight in Horgan's Bar in Blarney Street. I'd say the slagging will be only something desperate. Owen from First States Ireland and uh, Lorraine. I'd love to talk to Lorraine if she'd like to talk to me. They don't see each other anymore. They're not in contact anymore. It was filmed last August, but it was fun. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. That's so funny that he goes to the rugby on Sunday or on Saturday, and someone goes, "Are you first dates, nigga?" Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Whether you're dishing out fresh coffee, donating all that loose change, or donning your team's colours, you're doing it for a great cause. I'll be there for you. The Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon returns May 23rd to 25th to raise funds for Cork Cancer Services. Go to 96FM.ie for more on how you can host a coffee break, fill a change collector box, or support Team Radiothon on Jersey Day. And we'd love you to plan your own fun way to fundraise. So get started now. The Giving for Living Radiothon, supporting Cork Cancer Services, May 23rd to 25th. Yeah, I'll be there for you. Only on Cork's 96 FM. Into serious books now. Serious money. All right. The word coming up before we finish. Just your name, please. 083 396 96 96. Now, Miss World is on at the moment and it runs for a few weeks and Miss World will be crowned in a couple of weeks in March. Our entrant is Ivana McMahon. Student, a former UCC student. Uh, we've talked before. I know we have. Um, but Ivana, it's a while, if I remember correctly, it's a while since you were crowned Miss Ireland. Good morning. Good morning. You're absolutely right. So I was actually chosen in August of 2022. Um, and typically you'd head to Miss World a few months after that. But uh, there was a few delays uh, with this edition of Miss World, but I'm so delighted that I finally am here in India and at the 71st Miss World now. You're already in India. What part of India is it taking place? So at the moment, at the moment we're in Delhi. So we're in Delhi for the first week. And then for the second two weeks, we're going to be moving to Mumbai. And that's where the final is going to be happening on the 9th of March. India, been there a couple of times. Exciting place, isn't it? Absolutely. And, you know, it's my first time here, so I'm mesmerized by everything. It's so beautiful, so colorful. The people are so friendly. Yeah. Um, you know, we're really, really are being immersed into their culture. I've had amazing food every evening. So I'm absolutely thrilled that it is taking place in India yeah. this year. I was just going to say that the food alone is what makes me jealous of the fact <laughs> that, that you're there. Remind us again, you're a doctor, aren't you? I am indeed. So I actually attended university, uh, UCC, uh, University College Cork, mm. um, and I graduated back in 2020. So I was working then down in Cork for just under a year, um, and then I moved over to Kerry. Okay, okay. We'll forgive you the move to Kerry. Uh, you, <laughs> you did South Africa as well in between. What, what areas of medicine are you particularly interested in? So I'm actually on the GP scheme, so to be a family doctor. Oh, really? Um, I've done, I am indeed. So I finished my first year now, so I'll have another three years of training to go. 
Um, I just really like the community aspect of it. Um, you know, I think hospital medicine is great and you do have that team, um, with your, your fellow colleagues in the hospital, but I love, when you're working in a GP practice, you know, you're able to see such a wide range of different patients and different people and you build up a good relationship with them. It is yeah. a specialty in itself, isn't it, Ivana? You, you do what, four years? You do, yeah, you do four years on, on top of um, your your qualification that you receive after attending college and you have additional exams and everything to do in those four years. Yeah. Um, so it is absolutely a specialty in itself. Um, but no, I think a, a really enjoyable one and I'm glad that I've chosen that specialty. You, you, you get to work, although, while, you, while you're studying, don't you? Absolutely, you do, yeah. So you're still working, but you're kind of a, a training doctor. So you're working and training at the same time. Yeah. Crikey, well, what would happen if you brought the Miss World Crown back to the doctor's sword? <laughs> where, where in Kerry well, are you? fingers crossed I will be. Um, so I was in uh, Tree General Hospital um, and then I'm going to be moving into Bantry when I come back now. From oh, you're Australia. back to Cork? I'll be back in Cork then to Bantry after I come home from India. <laughs> there'll, be, there'll be a long queue outside that surgery. <laughs> so so what, what's, what's the process? You're there for a week or two. Uh, so we're actually here for three weeks. Uh, so there's a lot that goes into it. I think sometimes people mightn't realise there's different uh, aspects of the competition. So you have kind of public speaking and a head-to-head challenge. You have a sports challenge, which we just had today, which was great fun. Uh, you have a talent. So I'm actually, I flew the harp over to India, would you believe? The elect- <laughs> no, I was going to come to that. I'll come to that in a second, the electric harp. But stop for a second on the sport. What sport did you do? So today we had the qualifier, so we actually did a bleep test. Now, I always say I'm more of a musician than a sportswoman, Um, so I tried my absolute best and I had a great time, Um, but I won't be uh, in the next round of the sports round. Come back to the harp, because it was when Fergal reminded me that I'd spoken to you before and that I was particularly taken by the fact that you play the electric harp. Like, this is not something like even like a guitar or a tin whistle or a flute that you can... Like, this is a big yoke. I think it weighed 30 kg uh, at the airport, so definitely a heavy a heavy load uh, <laughs> for everyone that was loading the plane for us heading over here. Um, but I said I absolutely had to bring it. I really wanted to bring, you know, a piece of Ireland, a piece of Irish music over with me when I when I had the opportunity to, to perform here. When, when did you take the harp up? I think I was around 13 years old. I actually attended a harp uh, summer school that was happening in Limerick uh, with a teacher that I was uh, going to, Janet Harbison, and I really loved it. Uh, I just went for a a week initially and enjoyed it so much that I decided to keep going back every week um, and then took it up as a new instrument. I'm so glad I did because I've had a lot of opportunities from it. You know, when I was younger, I got to do a little bit of traveling with the harp orchestra and um, that I would have been playing in, in Limerick. So right. I'm really grateful now that I did go to that school for the week. <laughs> there's, there's something else, Ivana, that we wouldn't have known about you. And that is, it's even more remarkable now. You're There you are training as a GP, having come through college and all that, carrying dyslexia through that talk to me about that studying to be a doctor with dyslexia that's that that must be tough (laughs) absolutely so i suppose 
Um, when I was going to secondary school, I always knew that I would have struggled in certain areas in comparison to some of my other classmates, you know, particularly with reading aloud. That was something I was really adverse to doing. I didn't enjoy doing that at all. And I really try and avoid doing that if I could. Mm. Um, and it wasn't until I think I was around 17 years old that I actually was then identified as dyslexic, uh, which is obviously very old. And I've done the majority of my schooling at that stage. Um, so that is massive pity because obviously it's not until you're identified that you can then go on and get accommodations and support. Yeah. So for me, as you say, especially then going off to college, I didn't really have time to probably process it, process it as much as I would have had if I had had that identification when I was younger. So it was definitely difficult initially. I think more so going through the fact that I was accepting the fact that I I knew that I was dyslexic. Um, but then once I accepted that myself, I was able to receive loads of accommodations in college, which is brilliant. Yeah. You know, down in UCC, they were able to give you loads of supports down there and they're very good to support you. Good. Um, or anyone that had anything uh, similar at all, you know, they were always very helpful. Um, you know, particularly in college, in the college system in Ireland, they're really, really good. Um, in secondary school, it can be a little bit harder. You know, I was speaking um, at the Oireachtas last October with the Dyslexia Association of Ireland um, and we were discussing the fact that extra time in exams for secondary school isn't uh, isn't something that uh, students are given here yeah. in comparison to all the other countries in Europe. You know, it's nearly standard that if you are dyslexic, you know, no matter how severe your dyslexia are, if you have identification of being dyslexic, you will get that extra time for exams. And, you know, here, if you go then on to college, you do get that extra time, but you mightn't get it at secondary school. So it doesn't really add up or doesn't make sense. Yeah. You know, the same accommodations and same support should be there for everyone. And I know myself that when I did go to college and I had that bit of extra time, it made a huge difference and difference, and it levels the playing field for me uh, with my other classmates. You know, I, so I, I think it's something really important to bring awareness to and, and discuss. I can hear the passion in your voice when you talk about it. Wouldn't it be wonderful? If we had a, a a Miss World campaigning on behalf of the of dyslexia or for dis, better services for dyslexia, so when will we know what's the selection process? You're narrowed down to a smaller group, aren't you? We will be indeed absolutely narrowed down to a smaller group and then the final will be taking place on the 9th of March. So at the moment what we're doing is we're all competing um, in the different rounds and challenges that they have um, and then the judges will select um, a kind of a number of girls from that um, and then they'll go on then to, to vie for the crown. So fingers crossed I'll be able how to many are in that? How many, how many will be in that select group? So typically it's kind of a top 40 now. I haven't confirmation on what the top number of uh, of uh, contestants they'll be choosing this year, um, but typically it's uh, a top 40 that they do select. Well, the very best of luck. And when that uh, selection process to the, to the shortlist is complete, let's hope your name is on it. Ivana, great talking to you and the very best of luck. Thank you so much. Lovely speaking to you. And you too. That's uh, Dr. Ivana McMahon. Currently, currently in um, in India, taking part in Miss World. She was named Miss Ireland in 2022. Now they're doing the Miss World. We will know more 
I expect within days whether she makes the short list and then goes forward to the final selection on the 9th of uh, March. There's talk, if you can believe it, there's talk that she's very hotly tipped to do well, um, which would be which would be great, which would be absolutely fabulous. Thank you, Ivana. 0818 96 96 96. Just on road rage, people are absolutely fuming when you're trying to join the new Dunkettle interchange. If you come in from Little Island, second exit from the slip to the tunnel, it's meant to be the zipper method, but people can't cope with that and they go crazy as if it's a race, says Sarah. Does it? Yeah, I saw that, Sarah, when I was down there the last few days. It, it is meant to work like a zipper, every second person easing in, but that I, I don't think that's ever been done in Cork before, and you're right, taking a bit of getting used to 0818 96 96 96 wherever you will go Cork's 96 FM back to Road Ridge and back to David Quinn who was on with me earlier on talking about the more aggressive behaviour we see around us now in society and he went down a, a road where he was talking about male role models fathers in other words and I accused him and some people have done even though he says he's not I accused him of having a a pick against single mothers and indeed a lot of listeners contacted us and said he's being very unfair to single mothers. We will podcast the interview afterwards and you can make your own decisions on that if you didn't hear it or indeed if you want to hear it again but Margaret says he's on there about a good male model My husband was killed in Lebanon, and I had a daughter and a son. They never stepped out of line once. He's trying to say a female model doesn't mean anything. That was 1991. My daughter was eight, my son was three. They never got into trouble, and they ended up with good jobs, all thanks to a good mother. So I don't agree everyone needs a good male role model. That's from Margaret. Indeed, sorry to hear that. Margaret, 0818 96 96 96. Join the conversation. Text to WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. This is the Opinion Live with PJ Coogan. Always good to recognise athletic endeavours on the show. Another one, a really unusual one, in just a sec. There's a new scam going around. It's not new, I saw this before. It's a text message that you get that says, from three, your mobile SIM contract will be disabled due to failure to accept our new terms of service. Log on, blah, 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 to accept. Don't touch that link. It's a racket. It's a scam. I got it before, um, and it wasn't even on that particular supplier at the time. It's a scam. It's a racket. I also got another one of these ones this morning. Hello, Dad. I'm texting you from my friend's phone. You are in your mickey. Anyway, 0818 96 96 96. Alex O'Shea. What a thing to win. The Swedish Arctic Ultra Marathon. There's an old question, why do people do this? Because they can. Is that why you did it? Good morning. Um. Yeah, I suppose... One thing just leads to another. Ten years ago, I ran in my full fire gear in Cork City Marathon, broke the Guinness World Record, and people said, what are we going to do next? And I hadn't a clue. And it just opened, it opened the doors of opportunity. 
um, people said to me, do you know, you could run for Ireland if you put your mind to it. And I was thinking, you know, running for Ireland is running around a track, um, you know, track races, athletics and marathon maybe. And they were like, no, you can do 50K, 100K, 24-hour events. And I've been very fortunate. I've gone on to represent Ireland five times between 100K and 24-hour. I've ran in Russia. I've ran one of the hardest races in the world in Greece. And now I've gone to the Arctic. I remember you doing that one in the, in the marathon. And now that I know who I have, I, I remember it full fire gear on a June day, which is harder, yeah. full fire gear or a June day, what you've just been through. Well, I suppose the fire gear was harder at the time because it was it was going from nothing to a, an absolutely huge step up. Like for me going to the Arctic, um, I knew how to run. I've ran a lot of long distance events. I've been able to push my body. So I suppose I went mentally prepared. Um, I'd never been in that environment before. So there was a lot of new things, but I was I knew I was very capable of dealing with them. Yeah, it's five days, and yeah, yeah, the temperatures are getting down. In they got down in January to minus forty. That's cool. Yeah, I suppose most mornings we started like the temperatures after getting quite high out there now. So like most mornings we started at about minus seven, and it could feel anything down to minus fifteen with the wind chill. Right. Um. And then different days brought different experiences. Like we had days where we ran across frozen lakes and in around a bit of forestry. We had a mountain day where we went over a mountain. Um, I suppose one thing very funny was we were told in the race briefing that they employ some of the the local indigenous people, the Sami, to help out. Mm. Um, And they're part of the safety network along the course for us. And the Sami have something like a 100 different words for snow. (laughs) Right. And we and we and we discovered why we ran we we ran through what we consider snow in Ireland. We ran through snow that was like so fine it was like running through sand on a beach. We ran through snow that resembled flour. We really? ran through you know it it was just yeah when we went up over the mountain, it it's so windswept up there. Um, the snow there was just drifting along like as if you were down on a, a beach on a winter's day with the wind blowing the snow across your feet as in the sand on a beach. It was just so, so dry, so, so fine. And then other days you were in sticky snow and you had these special snowshoes like tennis rackets and they were picking up the snow, but they were also stopping you from sinking through it. Mm-hmm. Um, and for some people, they brought a lot of problems with blisters and took skin off people's heels. And uh, and, and them, in between, all, you're not going back to a nice hotel, you're camping. Yeah, the first the first night was kind of the shock to the system. We were put out into these teepee tents and it felt like that they were shaking the tent. It felt like we were in a violent storm. The wind was just hitting it and it was really quite cold. So nobody nobody got much sleep the first night. Um, luckily, I, I had a company, Thermarest, supplied me with a minus 30 sleeping bag to keep me warm. Mm. So I was, I was lovely. I, I was quite warm and cosy, but... You just wake up in the morning totally sleep deprived, but you're excited, you're full of energy, you make your breakfast, your breakfast is, it's like making a a cup of soup, you just add boiling water into your porridge or into your meals, they're kind of like space age meals, and 
you're you're trying to balance your calories knowing that you can't possibly get enough calories in yeah. that you're going to uh, you know you're running in those conditions and calories. you're running roughly a marathon a day isn't it roughly a standard marathon a day yeah it balanced it balanced out at a marathon a day um the last day was quite short and then we had one day where we did a marathon and a half <laughs> you need a lot of calories in the system for that and being cold yeah. and trying to keep your body warm that burns calories in itself. So how do you keep how do you keep your nutrition up? Um, well, like for me, because I'd done so many long races, I was kind of working off three and a half thousand calories a day, and I was taking the majority of my calories were breakfast and dinner dessert when I got back to camp. Um, I was only taking maybe seven hundred calories during the day when I was actually performing whereas other people were taking the majority of their calories during the day. Um, I wasn't, like for me, food wasn't a luxury item. It was fuel. Mm. So I bought, you know, I had these meals where you add hot water for nighttime. And during the day, I had some powder carbohydrate in my bottle. Um, you know, special bottles. They're like a cycling bottle, but they're twice as thick. They're yeah. insulated and they still froze at times. So every time I drank, every time I drank out of it, I would blow the hot air from my mouth back in to try help it not freeze. So you, you just learn learn these little things as you go along. We really have no idea of the endurance. Now, not only did you not win, you won by some distance. Now you won it by some distance. Oh, like I think I think um, part of it was you know there there's amazing people out there. Like first and foremost, everyone goes there to survive it, and I was no different. But when I went out on day one, um, I found myself kind of joint leader for a while. Then I slipped back into second place. But the other lad, he kind of, he, he went off towards the end. He went off really fast. And I kind of felt, you know, there's no point chasing him. We've This is multiple days. And in hindsight, I think age kind of prevailed, a bit of wisdom. He's, you know, he was 15 years younger than me. He got a bit carried away and he ended up with a small injury that was to affect the total yeah. outcome of his race. And I think I had a, a bit of wisdom by not running the last yeah. bit of that section so quick. Yeah. Is there a bit of a tortoise in the hair involved in this, Alex, that, you know, can, sometimes there, there you just have be. to go along and slowly, slowly, slowly you'll get there? There can be because, like, I suppose, like, people will look at me and they'll say, oh, well, he won the race. Well, I'll also turn around and say, okay, there was days where I was on my feet for 10 hours. There was days that other people were on their feet for nearly 20. Mm. You know, there, there's, there's more than one story that comes from these events. There's people that just went out and every day, like, if I, if I won, if I won a stage or came second, I came in and I basically got the best tent or the best hunting lodge. You know, I got to light the fire, keep it going, boil the water, make my food, dry my clothes. The later you came in, you still had all that to do. Yeah. You still had to go to the toilet. You still had to dress your feet. Um, you They were running in more dark. So they had far harder experience in this race than I did. And, the, and these were, were these, but clearly not by the sounds of it, as experienced as you, or what? What? How? What experience did you bring to this that made you put you so ahead of the field? Um, like 
I suppose, like, first of all, there was four people from Ireland went over. You'd Will, you'd Bobby, you'd Olivia and myself. Um, thankfully, they all finished. Um, I suppose we all went there with different goals. Um, like if you had asked me beforehand, are you going out to win? I would have said no. I was going out to push myself. Yeah. If that put me in a position where I was going to be a contender, I would view things a little bit differently. Um, after day two, I was really fortunate that I had a two-hour lead. Um, and when I went into the long day, the 65K, I was a few kilometers into the race. I looked over my shoulder and James from the UK was there and I just dropped back and me and James ran the whole long day side by side having a chat and that would have been an experience that I would have lost if I had raced him that day so hard. You know, you, you don't get to see as much when you're concentrating on racing. So like Cork City Marathon, I tell everyone, the fun isn't up the front. The winner lifts the trophy, but the fun is in the middle and the back. Yeah. Like you run with the pacers in the middle of Cork City Marathon. The chat they'll have with you and the crack they'll have with you. This is the same. The guys in the middle of this event were running in groups and they were sharing the experience. The person out the front is running a very lonely, solitary race mm-hmm. and it beco- it becomes very much a race. So I, I got really fortunate that when I did the mountain section, I really worked really, really hard. And by the end of that day, I was two hours clear of the field. Mm. So the next day I was able to run with someone and uh, share the experience, which was absolutely brilliant. And it's an overall timed event, isn't it? Yeah, they they basically they basically add my time from every day and um, calculate it. Um, there was a funny story actually when we got to the finish line. Um, myself and uh, James, uh, sorry, myself and George from the UK, yeah. we crossed the line together and we we toasted a, a mineral at the end. And uh, when we were taken back to our accommodation that day, they had a minibus coming in and out. And he said, um, we'll have to try to get in and watch the match. He was a rugby fan as well. And Ireland were playing first. Yeah. And then obviously uh, England was playing later. So we, we got we got back into the finishing area, a small little village. They had a bar. We asked, could we put on the match? And your man said, if we know how to do it. So we were trying to stream phones to connect it to TVs, <laughs> everything you could imagine. And we couldn't we couldn't possibly get it working. So in the end, you had an Irishman, an Englishman, sitting in a bar in the Arctic Circle with the Englishman's dad FaceTimed us with his phone pointing at a telly in the UK. And every time something would happen, I would message my son, and I would say, what happened? Why did he get sent off? And he'd be messaging me back, oh, dad, the ref warned him three times. He didn't step back. So, you know, it was just you know, one of these funny little moments. Brilliant, absolutely. So you've, you, that, so you've an, an English fella and an Irish fella sitting in, a, <laughs> sitting in a bar in the middle of nowhere trying to watch yeah. Wales. <laughs> Ireland, Ireland versus Wales. By remote and an control, English effectively. Uh, an English man sending us the feed from England. <laughs> oh, that's the best. And the commentary the coming best. from Ireland. That's the best ever. So what's next for you now, other than a rest? Um, yeah, it's uh, back on shift in the fire station tomorrow. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I'll be looking definitely at doing uh, something cold again. Um, I've got a, I've got a brother that 
uh, does a bit of rowing and in the back of his head he'd love to get one of those rowboats and uh, specialised rowboats and do one of those big rowing events where you row across one of the oceans and I said yeah count me in if, if that becomes a reality I'd be up for it but um, in terms of me a solo project um, you know I, I would certainly look at um, the possibility of trying to get to the North Pole or something like you know it might require might require a lot of research, yeah. but I wouldn't rule it out. Um, is that the maddest mad- organised race in the world, though, the one you've just done, or is there another one that you say, okay, I'm going to give this a lash now? Yeah, there is. A, there is like the one, the one I did. Like they call it a race. Yet I suppose you could describe it as a cross between a race and an expedition because mm. you don't just race, you have to live it and you have to prepare your food. But yes, you are in a very safe environment. Um, like they tell you that it's, you know, the safest cold race in the world, that they can get you anywhere on the course within 30 minutes. They have water stations every 10 kilometers um, and they have fully trained doctors on the course. Uh, oh, yeah. One of the doctors had trained in uh, CUH. Oh, for um, yeah, she's actually an English lady, but she had trained here in CUH. The world is um, only a village, my man. It's only a village. Oh, completely. Um, so I met athletes from all over the world that are all, and we were all sitting at the table on the last night. We had a dinner together. And for some of us, that's when we only really got to talk to each other because like the top three athletes go into one hut, the next three or four go into another hut. So the people in the middle of the pack never actually spoke to the guys up the front and down the back because we came in at different times. We were in bed. We were, you know, so it was only at the very start and the very end you see everyone. Wow. Um, and we all we all have that question. What are we doing next? Yeah. And everyone, you know, everyone is thinking. So I suppose it's to have a few days, get build the body back up. Like at the moment, a lot of people are coming home with blisters. And yeah, are you are you of, all uh, cut and bruised and blistered or what? I'll have to go on Amazon. I want to get off the when I get off the call and order two toenails. I'd say, but um, <laughs> other than that, I'm good. As <laughs> you're a tough man, and back when are you back on shift? The fire brigade. Uh, tomorrow. Tomorrow. Right. Yeah, I, I, I actually, you're actually back in Cork now, are you? Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Okay. I'm living in West Cork, right. well, so uh, I have to go. I have to go get a haircut and a shave today because the beard doesn't go down well in the fire station. <laughs> well, but, good uh, luck with that. Well, ne- well needed. All right, listen. Good luck with that, and congratulations on the win. And I, I love the way you just talk it through as if it was the most normal thing in the world. Well, I suppose, like. Like there's there's times when there's times when you feel it is, and there's times that you recall things as if you're looking through someone else's eyes watching it. All right, it's 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 a bit strange. Okay, well, congratulations but, um, to you one, once again. Yeah. And I just the- I just want to give um I just want to give a big shout out as well to Will, Bobby, and Olivia, the rest of the Irish team. They did an amazing job. They got to the, they got to complete their goal. They got to the finish. And thanks to uh, my wife Audrey and the kids for supporting me from home. All right, and Alex O'Shea, uh, Cork firefighter and winner, not just take part in, winner of the Swedish Arctic Ultra Marathon. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Well done. 0818 96 96 96. We'll see if we can, can we give away some money. The word is your chance to win free money. On Cork's 96 FM. Right, now this one's been going for a while going for a few days now and it's mounting up every couple of hours 
I met the coolest dog, the dog's name. It's <laughs> my mother didn't get a look in for the entire hour. Yeah. Yeah. Like <laughs> All right. Now, Bruce was guest this morning. It's not Bruce. So we go out the road to Mallow. Afric Ograda, Afric. Hi, PJ. How are you? Good. Now, look, this could be anything, and I'm not allowed to tell you, and I don't know whether you're right or wrong until you give me an answer. So, okay. have you got... Do you know the word? I have a guess. Go on. We'll take a shot. Albert. You're saying Albert. Yeah. Let's see what the machine says. Unfortunately not, Albert. That's okay. Thanks anyway, PJ. Cheers, Africa. That's African Mallow not winning €3,250, which means Simon has three and a half grand to give away this afternoon. That's it for most program edited by Emer O'Hay, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. All you podcasts up ASAP. And we'll talk to you tomorrow just after nine. Question 10. What Irish comedy show had a character wearing an I Shot JR t-shirt? Was it Father Ted? You said Father Ted and you're not certain on it. And your gut was right when you uh-huh. gave the answer because you just won 2,000 euros! <laughs> Thank you so much. That's amazing. I'm going to buy you two lamps for your... Um, <laughs> Listen, you are 2,000 euro richer. Thank you so much, man. The two grand minutes. I'm getting money. Listen to play at 7.40 at 8.40 every day. With Cork Dental Care, you'll be all smiles when you see their treatments with Invisalign at corkdentalcare.ie. Lorraine and Ross in the morning. Money. On Cork's 96FM. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.